Good morning, everybody. Hope you're doing well. It's Steph. It is 10. Well, it's slightly after 10 in the morning on the most wonderful month of the year, except for all the other months. It is the, um, the 9th of December, 2012. Hope you're doing fantastically. Hope you're doing excellently. Thank you, everybody, for your very kind words about the fascists that surround you. Podcasts. Uh, I have one more to do uh, to to finish up the series, and it's been a while, I guess, since I did a series. But uh, it's been uh, powerful and enjoyable uh, and challenging, of course, emotionally to work on. And I'm glad that people have found it useful because it would suck to do depressing work without it being. And and interestingly enough, people said it was kind of liberating, you know, stuff that they've always thought or stuff that they've experienced but haven't as yet quite articulated. So. I, uh, I appreciate all that feedback, and I hope that people will, will share it. Uh, I'll put a playlist together, of course, of the video and the audio. And, yeah, again, <laughs> sort of wanted to mention, uh, I think it was last Sunday that I mentioned uh, to thank, thank everyone who'd uh, contributed to the documentary. And, of course, as a result, donations dropped off hugely. So <laughs> I just wanted to mention that. I like to show my appreciation, but I also like to have some sort of predictable source of uh, income for the beast. I'm uh, working on a couple of uh, uh, ways to get FDR out to a wider audience, and um, all of that uh, still requires a little bit of cash. So don't mean to whine, generally do, <laughs> regardless of my intentions. But if you can do anything to kick in, 10 bucks a month, oh, that's tasty. 20 bucks a month, double tasty. 100 bucks a month, I bathe in gold coins. So it's really up to you, but uh, whatever you can do. Just remember, you know, what's it? 80 cents a day, 80 cents a day to fire a star cannon of philosophy into the dark night of human thought. So I hope that you will uh, check that out and kick in some cash. Uh, freedomainradio.com is the place to go. And I've also put a um, page together, um, which I'll make a little bit more pretty over time, but I put a page together of uh, speaking engagements if you wanted to have a look at some of my speeches um, and see just how I've improved <laughs> over the years with your help. And support, you might want to check that out. It's on the homepage. But enough of me. This show is all about sheep, no? All about you. That's right. It's all about you. So, James, if you'd like to kick in the first caller, let's get it on. Hi, Stefan. How are you doing? I am very well. How are you doing, Matt? Good. Um, so the question I wanted to ask you is... Um, I'm having difficulties dealing with uh, the relationship with my mom, and it's predicated on the fact that uh, she is a, what I like to call a super Christian, and I rather recently have uh, rejected all the uh, tenets of uh, Catholicism. So I don't know if you want me to give you the history of this, or it's a little bit detailed, um, but yeah. I leave it to your discretion, my friend. Okay, so I guess I will. I, I, so I guess before I was even born, um, my, my, my mom didn't grow up in a, in a religious uh, household by any means. I mean, back in the 60s. Can I, sorry, just I hate to interrupt you at the beginning, but I just wanted to point out that that you are giving me by by fast, by best, sorry, by far the best history. Uh, because a lot of people say, uh, you know, well, last week I had this problem with my mom or whatever. That's not much of a history. But you are very wise to start off with before I was born. Uh, I just wanted to mention that. That's a great place to start. Uh, in history. Uh, in fact, before my mother was born is even better, but this is this is good deep history, and I appreciate that. So, go ahead. 
Um, so by no means did she grow up in a, in a, like a super religious household. Um, I mean, back in the 60s, I guess, her, her parents were Lutheran, I believe. They went, they maybe went to church every Sunday. From what I know today, my grandfather is by no means religious. He thinks it's fairly stupid. Um, but once my parents uh, got married, when they had the first child, they ran into a bit of a tough time. They didn't have a lot of money. They were fighting a lot. And um, from this, my mom, I guess, was looking for something to try to help the, the situation. I guess, as you know, uh, many of the religious groups are fairly good in finding people like this. And so for that reason, uh, some of her peers were into Christianity, and uh, so she joined, eventually joined Catholicism. Um, I guess I shouldn't use those two interchangeably, but uh, anyway, so um, the crux of the matter is that today, pretty much they have everything they ever wanted. My parents are extremely well off. Uh, they seem to be happy, and they, they attribute, well, my mom at least attributes all, to, all that to uh, joining the Catholic faith. So um, once I was born, I was born into, um, I guess, religion. Uh, so I live in Canada, and as you are probably fairly well aware of, we have these horrible creations called the uh, government-run Catholic uh, schools. So I went to one of those. So you Sorry, just, just to be, be more precise, they're not government-run, they're government-funded? Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, right. It's the it's the it's the diocese that that runs the schools and sets the curriculum, but it is the government, and therefore the taxpayers, and therefore the uh, godless heathens um, among whom are forced to pay for them. But uh, just wanted to be clear on that. They're not government run. But go ahead. Okay, I didn't know that, but thank you for clarifying. Uh, so anyway, it it was. I, I mean, it, it's it's weird because you saw the same subpar type of education. But it's the same teachers that are also teaching things like about angels and hellfire and, and demons and all these awful things. So you literally go from uh, like religion class learning about oh how Jesus turned water into wine and then straight into chemistry where you'd learn you know, the physical properties of matter. And you know, knowing that's impossible, but they would somehow make you believe that it, that it is. So it was very, it was very strange. Uh, so I went through all the, uh, you know, the regular religious sacraments, I guess. So I had my first communion, I had, I was confirmed. And uh, growing up, it wasn't just at school that I would hear about these things, obviously. I, we also had to go to church every Sunday by, by force or threat of punishment. We, have no, we had no choice. If we didn't go, we would, you know, we weren't allowed to watch TV for the week, or we, we weren't allowed our, our favorite meal or whatever. So um, my mom was also a, like a very, she was very into this Christian radio stuff. It was out of the States, and it's a little bit different um, form of Christianity, I think, because um, for what I was getting at church, it was more or less, it was, it was boring, and it, I wasn't interested. Um, but from the Christian radio, when she would learn, they were, they were interested in, in like evangelical type of things, which I didn't get from the Catholic Church. So every, like every day after school, around uh, 4.30, we'd have to listen to this children's program, like, teaching about the Bible in what they considered a, a fun way. And one of the things that really stuck with me, I remember there was this one um, segment, I guess, they were talking about this, this character, right? His name was Eugene or something like that. And they were saying Eugene lived a, a, great, a great life. He was a nice guy. He always did the right thing. So if ever there was a test and someone um, offered to help him cheat, Eugene wouldn't cheat. He would always do the right thing whenever he could. And then it sort of fast forward to the end of his life. And... Uh, and, and as he's, he, he dies, and then he ends up in hell, and he wonders, like, I lived this, this great life. I try to do the right thing all the time. Why am, why am I in hell? And then the devil tells him, well, you didn't, never accepted Jesus into your heart, so that's why you're here. 
So we're sort of taught this idea that you could be a good person, but at the end of the day, if you never accepted this, this Jesus into your heart or God or accepted everything with religion, you're still going to end up in hell. And that really scared me as a child. It, like I, I remember thinking about the concept of hell. Um, the way that it was presented to me was, one, you're in this horrible, flaming, burning pit, and you're cut off, like all your senses are sort of cut off. It's it's uh, completely pitch black. You can't hear anything, and it's just for eternity. So it never ends. I can never really uh, wrap my mind around that. It's just thinking about it as a child was just horrifying. So um, it sort of kept me within uh, religion based upon fear, which I guess is nothing new. Um, but anyway, sort of as I was growing up, as I went um, into high school, my parents always forced us into these sort of religious camps or uh, religious groups. And for instance, one summer we went with them to what I think it's called Cana Camp anyway. So you go to this, you know, this cabins in the middle of nowhere. You don't have any electricity or water. Every morning you have to go to the church, you have to say the rosary, all these crazy things. I remember one of the days um, they gave, I, I guess I was maybe 11 or 12 at the time, and they gave the younger kids the opportunity to go on this, this tour with the priests of this religious compound where the priests um, live and worship with the, uh, the, I guess there was nuns, I don't know if that's what they were called. Anyway, um, well, the older kids had to go and work on this farm. So I remember me and my, my younger sister, who is a year younger than me, so we went on this religious tour with the, the priests, and we went to see, the, it was, well, I mean, it was really boring, but it was weird because when the, when the tour was over, I remember they brought us down to like this dark, damp, like dungeon-like basement, and they said, okay, well, the tour's over, and we want you to do some work for us now since we took you on this tour. And like, my parents weren't there, so they never like officially asked our parents if they could do this or not. Like, well, we want you guys to like polish these things that we're going to put in the gift shop. So I remember we just sat there for a couple hours after this tour was over and we just, you know, polished coins and these religious trinkets. And they didn't give us, I remember my hands were just burning from this, this polish that they gave us. And they're like, Oh, don't worry about it. It doesn't matter. You're almost done. So it was very weird because I got this, this, this concept that there's parental authority and then there's religious authority and the religious authority somehow trumps the parental authority. Um, and so as I went into high school, I, I could never sort of, I went to, a, again, a Catholic high school in, uh, in Canada, and I, I didn't have a lot of friends. I was a little bit of a social outcast, and I, that only made me um, become closer to um, more, sorry, go deeper into religion, because my mom would just tell me, well, the reason why you're, why you're an outcast is because, um, you know, you're different. You've accepted God and Jesus into your heart and all those other people who um, they just don't get it in a way. So they're, they're sinners, and we don't want to uh, sort of associate ourselves with, with sinners. So I, was, so I sort of like became more religious myself. I mean, younger, I just thought, oh, this is so boring. I don't want to be here, but I have no choice. But I sort of started to become like my mom in a way. Um, like really not, I wasn't, it was weird because I wasn't interested in it, but I sort of told myself it was the right thing to do to be interested in it. So I remember at the end of high school, um, or sorry, throughout high school, my mom would buy us, the, me and my younger sister, these religious magazines from the States. It was called like, Breakaway and Brio. Anyway, they, the, the evangelical groups in the States, as opposed to what I was getting from the Catholic Church, were really big on, on sex. So all the, the magazines were, were geared toward, oh, if you're, a, if you're a guy, don't think about sex, masturbation, it's a horrible thing. Like, if you, if you, if you commit this, then uh, it's a sin, so you can't think about 
you know, females and what's natural. And then for the, for the girls, what they would be getting is things along the lines of, uh, you know, you have to dress modestly and you have to remain pure until you're, uh, you're married and uh, this ridiculous, I mean, it's not ridiculous, but anyway, things like that. So at the end of high school, um, me and my sister decided that we wanted to go on one of these evangelical missions to the uh, to Panama. So not Panama City, Florida, but to that country of Panama. So it was run out of a, a group from the U.S., uh, one of these uh, evangelical groups. So before we went on the trip, we had to fly down to uh, Miami, and we had to learn about how do you talk to these you know these savages that don't know anything about Jesus and uh, so what they what and what we had to do is we had to put on this like religious play regarding the, uh, the the story of Jesus and how he was born in the major and how he was crucified on the cross. But it was like in a in like a fun way, right? So as told from the perspective of, of toys or something like that. So um, so we went down to Miami. Uh, we we had to learn. I, I didn't speak a word of Spanish, um, but I mean the people in Panama they only speak Spanish, so they they wouldn't they would just give us these cards, I guess that had these uh, just these phrases that you just go up to someone and, and it's, for example, it would translate into to like, oh, are you feeling sad in your life? Oh, do you want to accept Jesus into your heart? Oh, do you want, do you want to give me your email address and I can send you some information? So we flew down to Panama. It was maybe a group of about a thousand people. So it was, and it was, it, I've never done anything like this in the past. So it was a very new experience to me. And uh, so when we got to Panama, every night we had to go to these silly religious seminars that mainly focused around the idea of, uh, <laughs> of a sex and, you know, homosexuality, it's so wrong. And we had, to, we had to hear a speaker of, oh, I used to be a lesbian, but I found God and I'm no longer a lesbian. I'm such a, a sinner and a horrible person. And I remember, um, so there's separate talks for the, the guys and the girls. So I had to go to this talk from this, he wasn't, I don't know, the pastor of some sort telling us how it's so wrong to have a girlfriend because if you have a girlfriend and you don't plan to marry her, it's only going to tempt you into having sex. <laughs> um, and I remember um, I wasn't sitting in the front row, but the person who was sitting in the front row, he literally went up to them and just started shaking them and saying, are you going to have sex before you're married? Are, are you going to have a girlfriend? It's wrong. You can't do this. And I was just so shocked because it was it was a different type of religion to me. There was, like, in the Catholic Church in Canada, there's never this, like, again, it was boring, but they were never, like, in your face and shouting at you and do this, do that, and, and these people, this was around the time, it was right after, I guess it was maybe 2004, 2005, so this was, like, right after 9-11, and these people were just all about, oh, we love George Bush, and we love war, and we want to bomb all these awful brown people overseas, and I remember they before every one of these sort of church talks, we'd have to get up and sing the, the U.S. National Anthem. And being from Canada, I didn't know them that well. And so I didn't sing along with them. And I remember after they come to me, like, do you hate America? Why weren't you singing the National Anthem? I tried to explain to them, no, it's just because like, I'm from Canada and I don't know the anthem. Like, well, and they say, well, that's, that's really no excuse. I mean, that's, that's really disrespectful that you're not singing our national anthem. I, even though I would say to them, well, do you know the Canadian national anthem? Oh, that doesn't matter. So anyway, we went, um, we went around trying to convert the, the locals to Christianity. I mean, it basically boiled down to um, we'd give them free stuff. And then, and then in response to free stuff, they had to give us their email address so we could, like, you know, email them this ridiculous propaganda garbage 
when we got home. So on the uh, plane ride home, they would say, oh, look, we got, you know, 1,100 emails from the people of Panama. We have saved 1,100 people from the fires of hell. So anyway, when I got home, this was right before I went to university, I became, like, super religious in this, this uh, in an evangelical way, right? So I was going around telling people how to live their lives, and you're doing it wrong, and you're a sinner, and you're going to go, you're going to, go to hell. And it's just the worst aspects of Christianity. So when I uh, did go to university, it was a very different uh, um, environment because it's, it's what I would—it's liberal, I guess, and, and what I would consider liberal. I mean, people were by no means religious. So I, again, I didn't have very many friends, and I was again the uh, social outcast. And it was very strange because when I would talk to people about you know philosophy or religion, they would add they would really challenge me on the issues of, like, for instance, they would ask me. Uh, so why is it you don't, why, why can't people, you know, using medicinal marijuana, why can't people, why, why is gay marriage wrong? You know, these, these issues that were just so hardwired into my brain at this point that they're, they're wrong just because they're wrong, and I, I had a very hard time responding to them. So what I would do is I would call up my mom, who was also very religious, and she always kept in, in line with this Christian radio. And on the Christian radio, what they would do is they would outline the, the arguments why gay marriage is wrong, the arguments why, um, you know, small marijuana is wrong. They would tell you. If someone says this to you, you tell them that. If someone says, makes this argument, well, you respond with this. So I remember I went and I tried these, you know, these really terrible arguments. Like, for instance, they'd say, okay, so why is gay marriage wrong? Oh, well, would we accept a man marrying a horse? It's the exact same thing, right? So don't, marriage is defined as a, between a, a man and a, and a woman. So I just became, like, people didn't want to be around me, not surprisingly. And I've, at the same time, I also had, um, I, was suff- I, I was suffering from like, a, a chronic um, illness, which I'm sort of getting over uh, now, even still today. And so it was, very, it was a very lonely type of, of life because no one wanted to be around me. And if ever I was sick, it was sort of like, okay, I'm sick because I'm not praying. I'm not praying hard enough. And if anything ever went right in my life, it's, oh, it went right because, um, because, I pray, I, because of Jesus, you know. So there was really no way out of it. And I remember one time, someone just, uh, one of my friends, they, well, yeah, I didn't have many, so my only friend, I guess, he, he suggested that I watch um, this movie. It was on, um, it was basically outlining how, it was like a conspiracy theorist type of movie, like about the World Trade Center, Tower 7, things like that. And one of the parts of the movie was about the hoax of religion. I remember watching it, and just, like, the, the uh, arguments they outlined were just, like, horrifying to me, the, you know, it, this, this idea that the the concept of uh, um, Jesus being born from a virgin mother on December 25th and all this stuff it was it was no by no means a new concept in history. I mean, they looked at they compared to many of the uh, Egyptian gods such as Horus or Mitra or Dionysus. I don't know if they're all Egyptian gods, but anyway, it was this exact same thing with them, born from a virgin mother on December 25th, the, 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 crucif- the crucifixion, all this, all this, and they presented how. The idea of Jesus really just came from the idea of worshiping the sun. So that absolutely horrified me that um, possibly what I believed in so strongly was just all a big hoax. And I remember trying to, to sort of pray it away in a sense. I, like, I would, I would, I would, it basically came down to, oh, well, it's probably just the devil doing this. The devil put these other characters into existence in history to make it hard for us believers to believe in Jesus. So I just was eventually able to dismiss that a very strong argument against religion, which, um, in retrospect, I couldn't believe I was able to do so. 
Um, but anyway, what sort of started um, unrolling, un- unraveling in terms of my faith was one of my friends, another person at church that I was going to at the time, they said, you should watch this movie. It was basically the argument from within the church as to why we should maybe open, like, broaden our horizons and accept you know, things like, like gay marriage. And so I watched the movie, and they made some very good arguments that maybe the passages that were basing this idea of gay marriage on from, I guess, Leviticus, saying a man should not lie with another man, all that other stuff, and maybe it's, it's, it was only for the context of that time. And maybe we're taking out of context today because we certainly don't follow all the other crazy things uh, written in the same uh, verses, like, you know, don't plant two seeds in one, one hole or other, you know, other ridiculous things we don't even, we don't even uh, look to today at any, at any level. So I remember I, I called my mom up and I said, Mom, you, you really got to watch this movie. It's like they present some really good arguments as to why we might be wrong. And it was from a religious perspective, so I accepted it. Because if it was from any other perspective, if it was just some, you know, group making a movie about uh, why gay marriage should be right, I would have never watched. I would have never listened to a word of it. But because it was from the perspective of a religious group talking about why we should accept these people, I called my mom, and I remember I I, I watched it with her. And after watching it, she she said to me, she's like, "Oh my gosh, I can't believe this. I we've been wrong all this time. I this really changes everything." And she said, okay, I, I really got to think about this and uh, um, just, just get back to me. So I remember like, a couple of days later, she called me up and she said to me, um, yeah, um, I thought about it and I, I turned to God and I prayed really hard and I read the Bible and uh, you know what, I just, I just can't accept it. What this sounds a lot like to me is back in the 70s when they were trying to uh, legalize, whenever it was, I guess it was the 60s, when they were trying to legalize abortion in Canada, um, they they brought out this you know this very sad argument of these women with you know using coat hangers and, and tried to like emotionally convince us that it's the right thing to do. So you know what? Unfortunately, I just I just can't accept. I just oh. can't accept this. And so, so your mom has has a big problem with emotional ma- manipulation over rational argument, but she's got no yeah. problem sending you to a place where they talk about hell. Okay, just checking out that. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> well, yeah, I know. Um, so anyway, I remember after that, it, it was just very strange to me because I was like, they, they made some completely gen- legitimate arguments to me within the context of religion as to why this is wrong, but she's just, com- she's just completely being irrational on this. And when I would talk to her about other aspects of it, like, okay, maybe you don't believe in calling it marriage, but do you at least believe that, you know, same-sex couple can they adopt adopt children. She's like, no, that's, that's absolutely not okay. I mean, a child has to be raised with a mother and a father. And she made some completely ridiculous argument, like, let's say you have two, two mothers raising, raising like, a boy. What are they, how are they going to explain to him when he has, like, his first wet dream? Like, they're not going to be able to explain that to him because they've never gone through it. Or if it's two men raising a, a female when she has her first period, how are they going to explain that to her? That's just so unfair to the child. I remember thinking, well, isn't Wikipedia around? I mean, how hard is it to Google, Google these things or read about it in advance knowing it's going to happen? So I asked her, so would you rather have these children living in, you know, in an orphanage than, than living with two parents that actually want to, to love? She said, no, no, it's, it's absolutely, absolutely better that they stay in the orphanage away from these parents that will only, you know, corrupt their minds. So, and then when I press her on things, like, hey, so, so does that mean that single parents shouldn't be allowed to have kids either? She said, well, that's, that's very different because, you know, that those single, those, those single parents, they, at one point they had a father and maybe they're still in, in, uh, you know, they're still in contact with their mother and their father. So I remember at this point, I, I just, like, I realized how ridiculous she was being, and this is completely irrational, and she's just, it's, it's stupid. And 
so, but it wasn't enough for me at that point to uh, sort of say, okay, enough with religion, I'm, I'm out of here. So it, it was enough, however, to make me change churches. So I went from the Catholic Church, which is fairly strict, strict in all its beliefs. It's not really geared towards young people. You know, I, I remember going to church and just <laughs> trying so hard to be interested, but it's really impossible. So I, I changed church. I, I switched to the United Church, which was a little bit more open. I believe in things like same-sex marriage or uh, you know medicinal marijuana, even. And I remember um, I would go there, and it just I still never felt like I I belonged there. I, I tried very hard to listen during the, the sermons that the, the, the priest, the pastor would give, and take notes and try to apply it to my own life, and it just was very. It was, it was just a hassle every Sunday morning knowing, oh, my God, I have to go to church. It's so boring. I don't want to go. But at the same time, there's this religious aspect to me saying, well, if you think church is boring, that's not okay. That's a sin. You have to try to, you have to try a little bit harder, you know? So it was just, it was weird. It was, I don't even know how to describe it. It's my body. So if you don't go, it's so, it's so boring. But at the same time, it's like, okay, but if you don't, this is in. I remember one morning I got up and I just did not want to go to church. I was like, it was cold outside. I had to walk, you know, you know, 20 minutes to go to church. And I, I wasn't feeling, like, I, I wasn't sick by any means. I just had a cough. And I remember trying to, like, justify to God. Like, oh, like, the way, like, a child who didn't want to go to school would justify, like, oh, I, I don't feel well today. Oh, look, I have a cough. Like, trying to explain to God, oh, Jesus, I'm so sorry. I just can't make it in today. I'm just sick. So I ended up not going to church that day, but I, I felt so guilty about not going. And okay, you know what? I didn't go to church. So I'm going to have to one hour. I'm just going to have to read the Bible just to make up for it. So I did. And like, ev- and thinking back, like, everything I ever did in the in the context of religion was never based on you know love and this is great and I really enjoyed it. It was all based on fear and shame and guilt, and it was just a very miserable existence. And I remember just I don't even I can't even put my finger on it. It just Slowly over time, I just stopped. I just stopped going. I just I didn't go to church anymore, and I I wasn't you know I was at first I was like oh my god if I stop going to church maybe horrible things are going to start happening in my life and that'll be a sign to me that this is God telling you that you've turned away from the the uh, you turned away from me and this is what that's what happens to you because you've turned away from the church. So uh, uh hello, sorry, I, specifically. I've done in the past in Christians, you know, the, uh, you know, the dark ages, things like that. And I just, I just began to realize this is so stupid. Um, and I, and another argument, I remember growing up, um, one of the things I, I struggled, struggled with this concept of hell. I remember even when I was six or seven years old, I would, I would ask my mom, because I, I, we were taught that God knows everything about you. He knows everything you're ever going to do before you even know you want to do it. So I, would, I remember asking my mom when I was younger, I said to her, Mom, if God knows everything we're going to do and then what's going to happen to us, why does God even make us if he knows we're going to end up in hell? And she had no, I remember she had no response to that. And she's like, okay, well, maybe maybe you should ask the priest what he thinks about that. And I, I, I don't remember. I think I did. And he, it was something along the lines of, oh, oh, God knows everything. He knows every decision, but he doesn't actually know what decision you're going to make. So like he, he knows like there's this matrix of, you know, you can, you can pick choice A or you can pick choice B. He knows all decisions and what they're going to end up and how they're going to end up. And he knows if you pick this choice, you're going to end up in hell. But he's not clearly sure on what choice you're going to make because he still gives you some free will. You know, it just didn't really, <laughs> you know, it, it, was, it was weird to me even as a child. So, again, it just came back to eventually I just stopped going. I wasn't, 
you know, I, I wasn't, um, you know, my life wasn't falling apart. It was getting so much better. And so when I went to my parents, I, well, I should, I should say this actually, like all my, well, all three of my siblings, none of them, they didn't have the same experience I did. Even though my younger sister went with me to on this horrible evangelical mission, she never turned out the same way. Like she, they just went to church on Christmas and Easter. They just sort of, oh yeah, we're, we're Christian. The, the, the typical buffet style Christian where they would just pick whatever aspects they want to listen to and, uh, you know, everything else. So we can just, you know, pray it away at some, some point in our life and ask God for forgiveness, you know, the, you know, the typical deathbed repentance type of thing. So they would still, like, my mom, she knew they weren't going to church or they weren't, like, firm believers in Christianity, but she always had this belief in her head, oh, one day they're going to turn back to God and they're going to become just like me when they have children. They're going to baptize them and make sure that child grows up right. So I remember... Um, just one Christmas, my everyone was going to church, and like, oh, are you coming? I said, no, I don't want to go. And he, she was, I don't know, she was devastated. I guess that I, I didn't want, like, I'm, I and I had to explain to her, like, I don't believe in this stuff anymore. I don't want to do this. And it, every time I try to have this conversation with her, it's, it's it, it really makes me mad because she'll go to, uh, oh, the devil's really gotten a hold on you. He's tricked you good. He's, uh, you know, you're you've turned away from God and he's, he's uh, really pulled the wool over your eyes. Don't worry, I'm going to pray for you and uh, one day you're going to come back. And I tried to tell her, like, you're just wasting your time. I'm, I'm so much happier this way. But she just doesn't get it. And it's, it's really started to cause a lot of friction between uh, her and I because I just don't, I just can't talk to her. Like, every time I see her, it always goes back to this. I try to explain to her, like, this, this silliness of religion and how, like, you know, you just were Christian because we were born in North America. If we were born, if I was born in, you know, uh, Iran, I would be Muslim. It's just, you know, you, you adapt with whatever around you. And even if you want to turn to some religion, you're, of course, going to pick up the one that's ready available to you. And I, I like, I, I, I don't, it's this concept of if, when you decide to become Christian, if you go out and, you know, research all the faiths of the world about Islam and Buddhism and Christianity and decide, or Hinduism and think, oh, which one's right for me? I think this one's the best. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with Or this philosophy. One. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, but, yeah, it's, it's just nothing. She's, in, she's impervious to these arguments. And when I think about myself and people would argue with me when I was in uh, university, um, I was also impervious in the same way, but I liken it to, like, I was a, a sheep, like, in a group of wolves. But for her, like, she's a sheep, but she also has this community of sheep. So if anyone ever sort of uh, questions her beliefs, she can run to them and just, you know, oh, my God, they brought up this point, and how, how should I respond to them? And she has this whole community that she can fall back onto so easily. And every time you bring up a point and you can, you, you, like, for example, I remember once, it wasn't too long ago, we were at dinner, and when my older sister brought up the point of, like, I mean, I can understand how Noah's Ark could possibly a, a, a parable of some sort, but Mom, you don't actually believe that. He went around and, you know, picked up every insect and, and animal and put them on this, this boat. And, uh, like, she started getting really emotional, and, like, and you could see her tearing up, and like, she'll start crying, and it's, you feel horrible just just talking to her about it, and it, it just there's no way of getting through to her. It, it's I've just gone to the point where I'm giving up on it, and I, I I don't I don't know if I should even bother anymore. Yeah. So anyway, uh, feedback is much appreciated here. Right.
So, um, f- first of all, I just want to say I'm really, really sorry about what you got exposed to as a kid. I mean, that's scary stuff. That's really scary stuff. The, the things that we say to children are very, very, very serious. You know, you, you tell children about hell, and it's hell. And it's everlasting torture and torment. And it is pitiless, and it is merciless. And, you know, we get horrified, and rightly so, we get horrified at... Um, Abu Ghraib and so on, and places where supposedly civilized nations are engaged in torture. And the torture is relatively minor relative to, you know, what would go on in a Nazi death camp or something and make human lampshades out of people's skins and all that kind of stuff. But we get appalled at waterboarding and, you know, these these uncomfortable positions that they force people to stay in. And all of that, of course, is is wrong and and immoral. But we don't get as horrified when we threaten infinitely worse punishments to children that will go on forever uh, uh, among a group of people where there will be no intervention, where death itself would not even be a release, right among devils whose hearts are completely evil, sociopathic, psychopathic, monstrous. We, We know that to threaten... An adult is illegal. Now, people go to jail for making threats, right? But to and that and that. So if I say, you know, uh, give me fifty thousand dollars, or I'm going to break your leg. We we understand that that is that is evil, and uh, people will go to jail for that. We we don't reward criminals for their failure to follow through on their plans. Even if it was, oh, I was only kidding. It doesn't matter, right? So if you make a threat to an adult, you go to jail. But the teaching of hell to children, which is you will go to church or you will burn in hell. You will obey this book or you will burn in hell. It's only our continued unbelievable blindness and lack of empathy to ourselves as children and to the next generation of children, that this can even be conceived of as anything other than kind of psychotic. So I really want to sympathize with that. And I mean, I get it. I mean, I was, I was not taught in the Catholic tradition, but I was certainly no stranger to hell. So I'm, I just want to say that I'm, I'm really sorry. It does, it does damage. I mean, is that, is that a, fair, a fair thing to say? Oh, absolutely! Like even still today, even being out of religion, those the hard uh, sort of the the indoctrination that occurred to me is it's still very present in my in my life. Like every every whenever I do anything, I sort of revert back to this. Well, what would Jesus do in this situation? Even though what's the right thing to do, but it's always within what's the right thing to do within in terms of religion. I really, I really have to sort of. Um, I I have to realize, you know, what's the right thing to do. And and what's really the right thing to do? So um, yeah, it's it's still, I'm still getting over it in, in many ways, but uh, I'm sort of in the healing process, I suppose. Yeah, no, and I'm, I can hear the. Is there anything you wanted to talk about in terms of that healing process? Because I can certainly hear the emotion in your voice when you talk about that. 
Um, it's uh, not really. Um, maybe for another call. It, it's uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. All right. Well, just just before we talk about your mom, um, mm-hmm. I just w- want to tell you one of the things that I found helpful in okay. overcoming this this kind of indoctrination okay. is to recognize the um, the antidote to propaganda is economics. <laughs> I know okay. that sounds kind of weird, but for me at least it was quite true. The antidote to propaganda is economics. Mm-hmm. So if you are taught if you are told stuff, yeah, uh, the, 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 you follow the money, okay. right? So we okay. all understand that the propaganda around the state is fundamentally economic. Mm-hmm. Right, I mean, it's it's pay pay your taxes. You can go protest if you want, but just pay your goddamn taxes. <laughs> yeah, right. The the whole propaganda about uh, all of this stuff. You know, why are we told to care about the poor? Is it because the government cares about the poor? Good, good lord, no. If they cared about the poor, then they wouldn't. Uh, they would never inflate the currency, which hurts the poor the most of all. If they cared about the poor, then they would be madly dedicated towards improving the quality of public schools, which they're not. If they cared about the poor, they would never run debts and deficits because when they, when they uh, end up having to deal with those one way or another, then the poor will suffer the most. So, I mean, of course, they don't care about the poor, but what they do care about is that we care about the poor and we'll give them money, which they then keep 80% off and trickle stuff down to the poor. And they love to give money to the poor, not because they care about the poor, because, but because that gives them reliable votes for the maintenance or expansion of state power, right? So, I mean, you're obviously a very intelligent fellow. Good job, Jesus. <laughs> a, well, a well-tuned brain. The Santa's elves were not napping on the day that your brain was created. So good, good job, elves. Good job, brain. Good job, Jesus. But um, so let, let's just talk about one of the things. And, and you can take this approach to a number of different things that you heard in terms of propaganda. But let's just talk about one of the things um, – the story, was it Eugene who who did all these good things? Yeah. And, you know, if somebody asked him to cheat on a test, he wouldn't cheat. <laughs> right. I've always found the, the religious hostility to cheating kind of strange, right? <laughs> because, okay. I mean, miracles are cheats to begin with, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's breaking the rules. Anyway, right. um, of course, if you have a good argument, you don't need miracles and you don't need threats of hell, right? Right. I mean, I, I, philosophy as a whole generally does not save you from hell. In the long, I mean, in the long run, I think you'll be happier, but certainly for the first couple of years, it's pretty, it's pretty tough, right? So, um, uh, but why would they what's, – what's the economic driver for telling you that good works alone, good deeds alone will not save you? Um, well, I mean, they, they want to keep you locked in, in – I mean – I remember every every time we go to, we went to church, um, even as children, my mom would make us give ten percent of our allowance to to the church in, in tithing. So it's of no surprise that they would they would tell you that uh, you have to give money to us and be a part of our group. Otherwise, uh, you have to accept Jesus. And this whole concept of accepting Jesus is giving us money. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. Everything everything yeah. that's predicated is around the transfer of money. Right. Right. So no good works means that. They need to maintain a monopoly on what is called virtue. Okay. Right? Yeah. Okay. Does that make sense? Yes. It's just like any other government monopoly. It's like any other monopoly. 
It's it's called rent seeking. It, it means that you seek some advantage, usually through some nefarious means, uh, through some sort of governmental means. You seek some advantage, which guarantees you income, and and the way that you get get guaranteed income is you reduce or you eliminate competition, right? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Right. If I could, uh, I don't know, if I could put every other form of media out of business, then I would probably get a few more listeners, right? Right. So that is, uh, that is an example, of course, of um, needing to maintain a monopoly. Because, and the other thing, too, that, that occurs in terms of propaganda is you really don't talk about the money, but in reality, everything is about the money. Yeah. Right, so you can't say you have to give us money or you're going to hell, because that clearly is an extortion racket. Right. I mean, in fact, it's worse than an extortion racket because the fucking mafia doesn't play prey on children. <laughs> That's true. And the fucking mafia won't screw with your head that much. Yeah. I mean, they may work over your kneecaps. But they won't screw you with the head. And the, and the mafia doesn't claim to be moral. Yeah. Right? So they can't say, give us money or we'll torture you because that's clearly illegal, right? Right. But they will say, you'll go to hell if you don't accept Jesus. And what does accepting Jesus mean? Giving us money. You <laughs> see, it's the same thing. And this, I think, is the, the boundless immorality of what goes on. Is that it all comes down to give us money. Right. And everything that you've been taught is around give us money. So, I mean, why is the church so hostile to masturbation? Because masturbation is inevitable. <laughs> yeah. And universal. Yeah. I mean, among all mammals, I'm sure that if bacilli could get their flagellum around their <laughs> minuscule penises, they'd, <laughs> they'd basically be rubbing one out all over your bloodstream, right? Well, I mean, this it, is an- it's weird because, I mean, and some people would, would, well, sorry, I remember a priest telling us that, okay, if you need to masturbate, it's okay, but as long as you're doing it in the right way. So you, you can't, you know, uh, fantasize about whatever sex scene you want. It has to be like with your wife and like one position, you know, so it's okay, but as long as you do it. Wait, you have to be, you have to be with your wife? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like on the bus, does it matter anything? I'm sorry. <laughs> Honey, I need to borrow your coat for a moment. <laughs> Give me the fur one. Uh, well, of course, look, the, but the reason that, that, masturbation is a sin is because it's inevitable. Mm-hmm. And therefore, you are going to need to pay them money to remove a curse <laughs> yeah. that they've got you for something that is not immoral. Right. Right? Nothing, of course, there's nothing wrong with masturbation. The, the issue that, um, well, the homosexuality issue, perhaps we can deal with another time. Uh, of course, we know the degree of harm that pedophile priests I'm not, I'm not equating homosexuality with pedophilia okay. but uh, of course not right I mean the, the two are completely un, in, in opposites but for a child uh, who is molested by a priest to have problems with man with male to male sexuality 
mm-hmm. to a little boy who's like it's not it's inevitable, right? Right. And I mean, if you were gay, the clergy was in the Middle Ages, and if you were gay, the clergy was the place to go, right? Yeah. I mean, oh, you have to renounce marriage and live with a whole bunch of other men, none of whom wear underpants. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, Sorry, monasteries were the that's another point. Middle Ages. Okay. Just another point. Uh, and oh, and the, okay. I mean, the whole the. Whole, I mean, if you look at the Pope on his throne with his incredibly gay teacup, or teacup <laughs> of a costume and that uncircumcised penis hat that he wears. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's so gay. It, you know, it makes Liberace look like Bruce Willis. <laughs> and that's just an important thing to, to understand as well. But it is, it is tragically all about, it's all about the money. And right. everything else, you know, it's like, it's like the, the, if you ever get, you know, oh, you get a free cruise, but you have to go watch this timeshare presentation. You know, we did yeah. that once. And, oops, you know, they took us out, this lady took us, my wife and I, to breakfast and was very chatty, asked us all about ourselves, this, that, and the other, right? And if you mistake that for friendship, that's a mistake. It's it's about the money. Right. I don't mind that it's about the money. They got to eat and, you know, all that. But but it's, it's all about the money. So if you look at whatever hangs out in your psychology, whatever was inflicted on your psychology, you know, the best antidote to propaganda is economics because economics brings the cleansing sunlight corrosive of cynicism to this stuff, right? Yeah. So if you look at, you know, your your mom is a source of income, or you say your parents are doing really well, and if you can get 10% of people's money before taxes, (laughs) it's pretty damn sweet, right? Yep. And if... Your mother has doubts, and she goes to the priest. The priest's job is to retain the income. Yeah. The priest's job is to retain the income. Now, please understand, I'm sure there are some idealistic priests and this and that, and I get it. They think they're saving souls and so on. Right. And the purpose of going to South America to, uh, is, is, to, is to gain income, to, to infect people with the illness called sin so that you can have them pay you forever for the imaginary cure called absolution. Yeah. It's a virus. And you were heavily infected, and I am so sorry for that. Okay. I really am. I mean, it's, it's just, it's horrible. You know, people have enjoyed for many years this, my metaphor of the country as a tax farm, right? Yeah. But I mean, a church is worse. Right, because the state, I mean, you, you, you give them your money and they kind of leave you alone, right? I mean, you, you don't sit there and say, well, what would Barack Obama think of me masturbating? <laughs> I mean, maybe you do, it's kind of kinky, <laughs> maybe you do, but it's not necessary, right? And uh, the I mean the churches churches as a whole are, are very long term child harvesting propositions, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the reasons that the church is against homosexuality is homosexuality does not provide them children. Neither does lesbianism, at least for most times in history, right? Yeah, that's funny because they're all about. Sorry, go ahead. Um, it, it's it's weird because. As I mentioned, none of my siblings are into 
they pretend they're into religion for the sake of my mother, right? So um, my younger sister just recently got married, and they're planning on having uh, children. And I, I asked her, are you going to baptize your child? She said, well, you know, I don't believe in any of this stuff, but I, I think I'm going to do it just to make mom happy. And it, it's difficult for me to talk to her because she doesn't want to hurt my mother, but at the same time, I know the harm that it's going to could possibly cause to their children by doing this. Even if you, even if your parents don't necessarily believe in religion, but they send you away to these these schools that teach you about it, there there is a chance you're going to end up like myself. So, well, sorry, just to be clear, though, I mean, if religion stopped at baptism, who would bother? I yeah. mean, who would care? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I mean, okay, so you got a little water from a guy when you were a baby, mm-hmm. right? The, the, the real question that I would put to your sister, I mean, if I were you, is yeah. are you going to allow mom to teach your children about hell? Yeah. Okay. Right? Yeah, I, I can see she's really on the fence about it now, and I, I'm trying to get No, no, door, this, is so, not, this is um, not an on-the-fence yeah. proposition. This is not an on-the-fence proposition. Okay. Right, because okay. let's say you you drop your, you know, let's say you, your sister drops her kids off and they're, you know, five and seven or whatever. Yeah. And she drops her kids off with your mom for a day, mm-hmm. and your mom decides to sit down and tell them all about how Jesus died for their sins and they're born sinners and they're going to go right. to hell. Okay. Yeah. If they okay. don't. It's that and the other, right? Yeah. They're going to fucking freak out. <laughs> yeah. That's- yeah, that's true. No, seriously, you laugh, but I mean, that's yeah. going to be some terrifying shit, right? Yeah. And then what? Yeah. Then what do you do? Right? It's a brain virus. You must protect your children. Okay. You cannot expose. I mean, if, if your mom had some physical illness that could be transmitted, yeah, you would not have her babysit your kids, right? Right, right. I mean, unless you can come up with a deal, right, with your mom that says, we don't talk to them about religion, they can choose when they get older, right? Okay. All right. And that deal has to be in place. In my opinion, this is, I'm just telling you, I can't tell you what you should do. I certainly can't tell your sister what she should do. Right. But if we understand how, how dangerous this stuff is, how brain-altering it is. Okay. Because everything, every, every companion of the parent is good in the eyes of the child. Every babysitter, everyone you go visit is good in the eyes of the child because the idea that so so I mean if if your sister's kids get told about hell and Jesus and so on by her mom by your mom yeah and then you say well no that stuff is not true and actually it's it's really bad mm-hmm. then they'll be like well why did you wh- why why yeah, am I there then yeah. this woman's going to tell me really terrifying frightening horrible stuff right why 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 did you, why, why, why am I there? Yeah. Why, why wasn't this worked out or something like that? Anyway, so this is not a, well, are you going to get your kids baptized? I mean, that doesn't, I don't think that, ma- that doesn't matter at all. Because there's no, I mean, they won't remember it. There's no indoctrination in that, right? Mm-hmm. But it is, uh, it is important to keep your, your children away from this stuff, um, uh, religion is a form of um, how best to put this. Because religion also changes genetics, right? Um, because ideas change your genes. 
uh, ideas that are enacted through behavior change your genetics. So it's a, uh, a form of – it's a genetic dysfunction that replicates through behavior. It, 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 it uses behavior to replicate itself. It's a brain pattern or in, – in some it's, it's either a brain pattern, i.e. a way of thinking. And brain patterns replicate. They seek to replicate just like genes do. Brain pattern memes, right? right? Brain patterns and the genetic changes that they engender seek to replicate themselves. Like, you know, they use your mother to replicate themselves in the next generation. They're like a devil. <laughs> I mean, I hate to use this religious metaphor, okay. but they're like a devil. Um, like, you know, your toe doesn't care about you. Your toe only wants to make another toe, and it's using you to make another toe. And yes, it will help you balance and climb trees and stuff like that, but only because that helps you to make another toe. The toe doesn't care about you. The toe only cares about the next toe. Can I make another toe? That's my, that's my only goal. When I wake up in the morning and I'm a toe, I'm like, I want another toe. <laughs> I want to make another toe. I don't have a penis as a toe. So I will help the penis find a vagina so I can make another toe. <laughs> right? If your penis does have a toe, please do not send me any photographs. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe you should. No, but, so, but, and, and it's the same thing, right? The, the religious uh, mindset simply seeks to replicate itself in the next generation. It's a, it's a meme that, that breeds through propaganda. And it's very dangerous, very dangerous, because you can't be cured. And I don't mean to say that you'll forever be sick. What I mean is, like, you have a cold and you've, you're done with your cold. You're like you didn't have a cold, right? Yeah. doesn't linger, right? Mm-hmm. But if you lose a finger, you can work around it, but you still don't have a finger, right? And... You certainly can be very healthy, but you can't ever be somebody who wasn't religious, right? Right. That will always be there. Not like frostbite, like a constant ache, but it's not curable in that you cannot be restored to how you were beforehand, right? Right. And again, I'm, I'm not trying to make you despair. Okay. I'm just talking about the seriousness of the affliction. Okay. Does that, but that's not, I mean, I, I will never be cured. I will never be somebody who was never religious. Now, I, I'm happy, I'm strong, I'm confident, and all of that. But, but it's, not, it's not undoable. And that's, that's the important aspect of the next generation, right? Right. Now, th- sorry, is there anything you wanted to sort of ask or add about that? Uh, no, that's okay. So... As far as your mom goes, I mean, are there things that you enjoy in your relationship with your mom outside the religiosity? Um, yes. Um, I mean, when we're not discussing anything in, in, in regards to religion, she's a very fun, caring person. I, she's very nice. I, I, I still love my mom. It's, it's hard because I, I know she's... She only did what she did because she thought it was the right thing to do. So, but it, it's hard because it, I, I just I can't get through to her. So, it's a question of whether or not I just give up. Do I stop seeing her? Like, I I don't know what to. I'm at that point where I don't know what to, what to do next. Well, I mean, if if you like her as a person, that's. But I mean, like that's an important. obligation in a way, right? I'm sorry. It feels like it's an obligation to a family member, though. What is an obligation? Uh, to, 
I mean, if if it was anybody else, and I, I you know, that inflicted this type of um, oh, like if it was some teacher, in a way, then I would just yeah, I would just you know, I'd never see them again. I'd, I'd cut them out of my life. But because my mother, it's sort of like this idea that okay, well, she's your mother. You you're obligated to at least have a relationship with her. And again, am I speaking from religion? Um, I don't know. Yes. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, honor thy mother and thy father, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, parent, I mean, in the Bible, of course, parents are allowed to, in fact, kill children who disobey them. Right. There's no mention of the obligation that parents have to children <laughs> other than bring them to Jesus and give them to us, right? To the yeah. to church. Yeah. Um, do you think that it's possible? Okay, so that, that, I mean, there's a couple of, of of options, and I don't know obviously which ones you should do. I mean, I don't think anyone can tell you, but I can sort of lay them out so that they can be a little clearer in your head. Okay. But logically, at least I see a couple of options. <clears throat> so the first option is, you sit down with your mom and you say, "Mom, I don't want to talk about religion with you. Okay. It's it, you know we're in different places." I don't know where you're going to end up. Mm-hmm. I don't know where I'm going to end up. But right now, it's not productive or positive for me to talk about religion. You know, I like you. You're a caring person. You're a lot of fun. I love you. But this religious thing is going to cause significant problems for us. And I don't know where I'm going to end up. I don't know where you're going to end up. But right now, I would like to enjoy my relationship with you without discussing religion. How does that sound, at least for the time being? It's just, I, I know, I'm pretty sure what she'll respond to that would be, okay, that's fine, but I'm still going to pray for you. And what that's really telling me is that she's she's not happy with the person I, I've become. You know, she's not proud of me. So that, that, will all, that thought will always linger, you know, even though she's not, maybe we were not talking about religion, but I know she's going to keep praying. I know that. Okay. Yeah. And obviously, you, you can't stop her from praying for you, yeah, right? I know. No. I know. <laughs> and I'm going to ask Jesus to tell me if he sees any of those laser broadcasts coming up from your head, forehead as you kneel by your bed. <laughs> so, look, I mean, you can't obviously stop her from praying for you. Right. And in a way, I mean, in a weird way, it's kind, of, it's kind of admirable, and it can give you some peace that your mother would still want to pray for you. Okay. Uh, I'll tell you why. Okay. If she said, yeah, that's fine. We don't have to talk about religion. I think you're doing great. Okay. That would be really bad. Okay. Do you know why? Well, it'd be a lie. No, let's say it was true. Okay. No, I don't. That'd be even worse. <laughs> <laughs> why would that be bad? Because it would be. So your mom sent you to people who taught you about oh, hell, scared okay. the shit out of yeah. you, okay. for something that she doesn't even really care about that much. Okay. Okay. So the fact that she is committed to saving, quote, saving your soul, and uh, which means making money for the priests, right? You understand? Mm-hmm. Um, that that the fact that she wouldn't give up without a fight mm-hmm. means that it wasn't frivolous to her, and because it wasn't frivolous to her, although it was a mistake yeah. and a bad one okay. to send you there, there is a weird kind of integrity to it, right? Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I never thought about it like that. So if you can set up a a boundary. Mm-hmm. Around religion, okay. Then that is um, that is important. 
now the but but you'll also have to set up a boundary not just now in the future because religion will give you a lot of religions will give people before they get married a little leeway a little run on the leash but then when you get married and particularly when you're going to have children the clamps come back in right because then it's like oh you know the farmer doesn't pull on the crops until the crops have grown, right? So yeah. he leaves the crops alone, <laughs> pretty much. He just yeah. waters them and all that. He leaves the crops alone until they're ready to be plucked, right? Okay. All right. And so the, 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 through, through the church, the pressure will come, and through the community, the pressure will come when you guys start having children, right? Right. Yeah. Crops are ready. Let's go harvest, right? Yeah. Bring them to us. And... So you'll also have to, you know, I would assume, sorry, I shouldn't say you have to, of course, I would just say in, in, in this approach, I would consider it very important to make sure that your mother understands that when you have children, they're going to choose, like, I'm going to teach them about a wide variety of things, mm-hmm. and my religious heritage is, is part of the things that I will be teaching them about. But mm-hmm. I am not going to inflict any particular belief system as if it's true on them before they're able to understand the context. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. And so you cannot be talking to my children about religion. Okay. Right. I mean, you, you can't have religion when you're a kid for the same reason you can't have sex when you're a kid. Because you don't understand the context. You don't understand yeah, right. the concept. <laughs> yeah. And you're physically immature and your brain, of course, is physically immature to process such concepts, which is why, I mean, religion has no arguments that appeal to a rational person, so they can only inflict terror on the helpless, right? Yeah, I actually remember um, asking my mom one time, I said, why did you um, baptize me when I was a child? Why didn't you let me choose it for myself when I was older and actually understood it? And then she responded, well, you know, the, the devil's out there, and he'll use whatever he can to get a hold of you. Um, it's you know, <laughs> well, that's quite true. <laughs> that's quite true. It's just that the devil's in Rome. <laughs> he will whatever he can. So, uh, so yeah. I mean, if so, you can draw these these boundaries, right? And I'm not saying that it's easy, and but you probably need to reestablish them every couple of visits, you know, and, yeah. and over time it will probably normalize. Okay. And you know, in my humble opinion, and of course, all of this is just my opinion, that actually will be great for you and your mom. Okay. Right, because there's no intimacy where there's fantasy. Right. Wherever there is delusion, mm-hmm. there is no intimacy. Okay. People who are sleepwalking through the jungle in their dreams, like they're, they're walking around their house, but they, they're not in the jungle. <laughs> they're only imagining it. Right. And so, you can't connect with your mom in the realm of fantasy. And I think that part of what may be going on for you is you really want to connect with your mom. Yeah. And so, you're trying to get the fog of religion away from her so you can actually give her a hug. Right. Connect with her. Yeah, I, I just without going, I, the pro, the, without going into the programmed robot, Godbot stuff, right? Yeah. So yeah, I, if you, I want her, you, so, so let me just finish this point. And then I'll listen, sorry, but, so if you if you can keep the the religious stuff away from your relationship, yeah, I mean I think relationship will improve. Okay. But sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I mean the thing is, you know, I'm so much happier now that I'm out of religion, and I I question whether or not she's actually happy. And so it, it comes down to I want her to be happy, and to make her happy, I want her to realize that everything she believes in is just a, a fairy tale in a way. So, it's, but sorry, but you understand that mm-hmm. before she gets happy, she's going to go through a long time of incredible unhappiness I and do, guilt. I do realize that, but I think 
when she comes out the other side of that, if she ever does, I think she would be a lot happier. Because if you tell somebody who thinks that they've benefited their children, that they did unfathomable and untold and unmeasurable harm to their children, yeah, I mean, do you, I'm sure you can get how unbelievably devastating that oh, would be. Of course, yeah, of course. And how angry she would then be mm-hmm. at having been used for money. Yeah. Having harmed her children for the f- profit of others. Mm-hmm. Having served sociopaths, right? Yeah. I mean, that, that would be... I can't, I can't imagine it. So... For you, I mean, it's important not to confuse yourself with other people, of course, right? Okay. You uh, did not whisper hell into children's ears, right? Right. You've never done that. Now, if you had done that and harmed children and frightened children and damaged children, it would be a hell of a lot harder for you to let it go. So you're the victim, right? The victim has an infinitely easier time escaping the abuse than the victimizer, right? Okay. I'm not saying it's impossible, I don't know. But what I'm saying is that it's, don't confuse your ease, and I say ease very loosely, I know it was hard as hell, right? But don't, don't confuse your ease of escaping the mindset with what would happen to your mom if she, right? And what would happen to her marriage, and what would happen to her social circle, and all of this, right? The strange thing is my dad isn't particularly religious. He sort of just, it, to me, it seems as though he just goes along with it to make her happy. So I could probably envision that their marriage would may get a lot better if <laughs> she did. Good, okay, so then it's her social circle, right? Yeah, okay. But I mean, that's uh, fairly significant, right? And what, yeah. I mean, it, it generally is matriarchal, right? The virus is passed along matriarchal. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's not it's not uncommon for the woman to be much more religious than the than the okay. husband, right? Okay. Because and that's just obvious, right? Because if you want to have a virus rub off on children, then you want those who have the most time with children, right? Which is why they focus on the moms, or the dads are out in the fields, the moms are raising the kids. So if you right. want okay. to, this is a virus that we are incredibly resistant to. It requires repeated exposure and unbelievable threats to get it to to infect us. So. Okay. So, so, okay, if you can draw these lines yeah. and have boundaries in the relationship, I think that that would be for the best. Now, if you – so you can either do this in a negotiated way, yeah. like an upfront, which has its risks and its advantages, mm-hmm. but you can also do it in an implicit way. And the implicit way is that you simply stop responding to religious conversations. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Right? So, you're on the phone. She starts bringing up religion and so on. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, I'm sorry. Um, my my food's almost ready. Um, <laughs> okay. uh, we'll, we'll play. Or, yeah. or you change the subject. Or okay. you say, I don't really feel like talking about this at the moment. Uh, maybe okay. another time. Right. And you just can have this sort of soft boundary set up. Okay. Right. And, you know, she'll either get the message and back off or she'll escalate and you'll go to the first option where you have an explicit conversation about it. But okay. it's a more gentle way, so to speak. It's a little less respectful. Yeah. But it's it's a way of also establishing softer boundaries. Okay. And it's weird because I I don't really know much about her childhood, and it's it's strange because her sister actually became a uh, Jehovah Witness. So I don't know if it's something that they both experienced as children that sort of led them to 
long for something such as religion. Um, but yeah, she's a hardcore Jehovah Witness, and it's it's funny to me because my mom will, you know, all oh, those Jehovah Witnesses—they're so silly and they believe such stupid things. Like only 130,000 people can get into heaven. They don't believe in blood transfusion. It's so stupid. But at the same time, you know, we believe in the talking snakes and the walking on water and all these other ridiculous things, right? So it's 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 another strange thing that I have to deal with with my mother. Well, then that's that's natural, right? Yeah. I mean, those crazy people over there say the <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's that's natural. So, I mean, that would be my and you know, I would also really try and find out more about your mom's childhood. I okay. think that's that's really important. Okay. I think we really do want to know our parents as well-rounded people. Okay. As the full-on experience, right? Right. I mean, my my daughter is fascinated by my childhood. Oh. I mean, okay, I have to give her the <laughs> the general admission version, but um, <laughs> she's fascinated because she's fascinated that I was a child. And I've, I've always wanted to make that clear. I don't want to be this you know, professional parent who was born six feet tall or whatever. And so really try to get to know your mom's history. Okay. I mean, what, what a fertile ground for discussion right. between children and adults, and particularly adult children and their parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, what a great ground of discussion. I mean, what a, a, a sort of deep and powerful tide of history you can tap into by getting the sense of the patterns and so on. I think that okay. stuff's all really important. Now, as far as uh, you want to save her, <laughs> oh, how the roles have reversed, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I would, I mean, personally, I would advise against it. Okay. There is, I don't believe that children have the capacity to really change their parents. Okay. Now, I mean, this is under the subset of nobody has the power to change anyone. Mm-hmm. Right? It's like saying, I can walk up to you, Matt, and I can make you give me a handshake. <laughs> I can't. I can stick my hand out. Yeah, okay. And maybe you'll shake it and maybe you won't, right? Yeah. But I can't make you give me... I can grab your hand, but it's no longer a handshake, then it's just assault, right? <laughs> I can't make you give me a handshake. I can't make a woman want to make love to me. Right. Right? Now, I can act in ways that I hope are enticing. I can do my Dance of the Seven Veils with a grapefruit on my head. At least that's <laughs> the way I was raised. But I can't, I can't, right? Now, this is true of relationships as a whole. You can change what you're doing, and that you can ask other people for what you want, but you cannot improve the relationship because the relationship is not yours, right? Right. It's like saying you can put two planets in proximity, but only one of them will affect the other with gravity. No, the gravity is a shared thing, right? So you can change what you're doing. You can make requests, but you cannot change other people. Okay. Now, I think this is particularly true in a relationship with such disparate and historical authority as a parent-child relationship. I think that's this important. I mean, I just think that the humility is necessary to recognize that we cannot change our parents' behavior. We can change our behavior, we can ask, but we cannot change their behavior. Yeah. We cannot improve that the, we cannot improve the relationship. This doesn't mean the relationship cannot improve if they choose to respond in a positive way to our requests and so on, but we cannot improve the relationship. Okay. Again, I, I sort of want to be it's a, it's a, an important distinction. And, and you know, people who think that that's possible 
can try it on a much smaller scale by, say, if you're in college, you can attempt to turn a Marxist into a capitalist uh, who's a professor. Mm -hmm. And if people do not feel that that's very possible, well, (laughs) or a capitalist into a Marxist if you want. Because there's an authority there, right? And that authority is nothing compared to the historical authority of parents and children. To be schooled by your children, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's theoretically possible. I guess there's some some cases where I've heard of it occurring. But uh, it's, you know, but but it's just one, you you can't change, you can't save her, you can't change her. Okay, yeah, okay. I mean, you can continue to give her these arguments and so on, but... um, what happened with you was you simply got exposure. I think that you're talking about the first Zeitgeist movie where they're talking about, you know, Jesus is a metaphor for the seasons and sun and all that, right? Yeah. You can't, yeah. So, but you were like one exposure to a different way of thinking and you were off to the races, right? Yeah. That's generally how it works. Okay. You know, some people see a crack in the wall and they take their nails off getting through it, right? Yeah. Other people see a crack in the wall and just stuff things into it, right? Yeah. And so I would, uh, I would recommend not pursuing that, okay. especially since it hasn't worked yet, right? In fact, it's only what, – what, because what is causing it to happen is, is her defenses to reinforce, right? Because you give – and there was – I was really quite excited when you were saying that, you know, you, you saw this thing about gay marriage and Leviticus and maybe we didn't – take it in context at the time, and your mom was like, oh my goodness, we've been wrong all this time, right? And I was like, yeah. oh my God, where's the story going? And it's like, oh, <laughs> runs back to the priest, and then he gives her the answer, no. and re right? So it, yeah. and now that, yeah. and now that window is closed, right? Yeah. So I would not, um, I think that your relationship will deteriorate significantly if you start playing this game of you trying to change her and her blocking it. Yeah, and I know it's not a game. I don't mean to trivialize it, but I think that's I, I think that's going to lead to a pretty pretty fun, fundamental split. Okay. All right. Well, I didn't want to take up the the entire show, but I, I really appreciate the the feedback. Yeah, and look, I hope that I hope that you guys. I don't know. I mean, because I haven't dealt with this really. Um, but I, I hope that you and your mom can have some sort of relationship outside of religion which is a value to both and i think that's great i don't know you know how well and blah 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 but i just wanted okay. to sort of make and okay. uh listen thanks for your honesty thanks for your story i really appreciate you you sharing it it's uh okay it's a very powerful story and I, I really appreciate that and i i really really wish you the best and i also just wanted to end up by just really saying for what it's worth how much i absolutely admire what you've taken on i mean this is okay. huge you know the cycle stops with you and incredibly well done <laughs> You're welcome. Okay. Ooh, if anybody wants to be first, sorry about that. Everyone else, <laughs> we can go over if we need to, but uh, let's move on. And we'll do our best. We have four more people today, so. Yes. Next up today, we have Bodhi. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Hi. Hi. Yes, sir. <laughs> Man, yes, sir. So, um, I was thinking I wanted to talk about procrastination. I know you've dealt with this topic a bunch. Um, I've listened to the podcast I could find on it. Um, but so, uh, like, I'm uh, I'm 20 now, and I've been unschooled my whole life, raised non-religious, and I have a real issue with procrastination. Like, um, 
no, you see, you're not allowed to talk about that. No, you see, okay. homeschooling, homeschooling has to solve all problems. You, 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 you can't talk about that. We're not allowed to talk. I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I figured for some variety, I'll do a homeschooling call that's not about the perfect childhood or whatever. But So, you know, I was never... Okay, so um, you're 20, you've got your fifth Pulitzer, and you're having trouble with your sixth. Isn't that right? So we're just yeah, procrastinating I'm, I'm about trouble, getting your next Pulitzer. Having okay, trouble make, making my 10th million, so... Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I hate that. That tenth million is a bitch. I'm telling you. Yeah, <laughs> you get right. that's a real I've hurdle. already got nine, right? That's a real so hurdle. I can yeah. Lives. yeah, I can step off this ledge. Anyway, go ahead. Right. Um. Yeah. So I was never. Um. I was never really disciplined. Um. I was never. You know, never spanked or anything like that. I was never really yelled at, except um a couple times. Um, like I would beat up on my sister a lot. Not in like a really bad or mean way, just kind of like playing with her and then she didn't like it and I didn't stop like when she wanted me to. I'd bring it like another couple minutes and then, you know, the parents would get a little annoyed or whatever. And like so once I... I'm just holding my forehead here. Caller provoking massive brother issues. Must (laughs) forehead. Anyway, it's a good Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I was like sent to my room like a couple times for just like an hour. But that was really it. Um... And so most of my childhood, I just, um, like, I watched, mostly just watched TV until my parents got me a video game station. You know, like, a, I got a Nintendo 64. <laughs> Wait, your homeschooling consisted mostly of watching TV? Yeah. and uh, You well, must have learned a hell of a lot about the artificial problems of pretty people during the day. I just wanted to point that out. <laughs> and the real problems yeah. of not-so-pretty people on uh, Oprah and Dr. Phil. But anyway, so right, okay, yeah. so this was like total well, unschooling where you didn't even have much of a drive to learn much of anything, right? Yeah, it was, um, it was mostly just cartoons. I love SpongeBob. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I don't think that what I was describing was much different, but okay, go on. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I got a game, st- uh, you know, game console, and I played that for a couple of years, pretty much nonstop. And you know, this is interspersed with college hanging out. for you, right? It's like, uh, mom, I've graduated from the high school of of cartoons. I need to go to the college of video games. Okay, yeah, you're you're just provoking right. everyone who doesn't believe in unschooling right now. But that, <laughs> <laughs> this is what happens if you do video games. And okay, anyway, go on. I'm kind of highlighting like the uh, the boring parts. You know, there's I've, it's interspersed with all like you know, all my friends were uh, in school. So I'd only get to hang out with them on the weekends. And so during the week, like, sometimes uh, my dad would take me and my sister to this local farm. And we'd volunteer and, like, hang out all day and, you know, do that kind of thing. Um, but other than that, I pretty much just played video games all the time. And then I got, a like, a computer when I was, like, 12 or 13 or something like that. And I played World of Warcraft for the next five or so years. Um. <laughs> See, you know what? And I tell you, um, back in the day, oh, I love saying this. Oh, 20. I love back in my uh, day. Back in my day. I say snapping my suspenders and whittling something because I can't get it up anymore. But anyway, <laughs> um, back in the day, you know, computers sucked so much that if you wanted to play a game, you had to make a game. Right, I mean, like I remember making Missile Commander right. <laughs> uh, with, with ASCII characters. Uh, I mean, and, and making my own Zork game. Oh, that doesn't mean anything to you. But um, yeah, back in the day, uh, y- when you got a computer, I mean, 
they sucked. Yeah. <laughs> they couldn't do anything. They didn't have like 3D massive multiplayer immersive graphics, uh, you know, Dolby surround sound. I mean, they, <clears throat> they just sucked. I mean, my, the first computer I worked on had 2K of memory, uh, not enough to, to do much of anything. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, I mean, so you could make games and share games and that was kind of cool. But now, I mean, the, the barrier to entry is so high that, I mean, what are you going to do? Program CRM databases for fun? No. Oh, yeah. So I just wanted to sort of point that out. It's changed a little bit from when I was a kid. But yeah. anyway. Well, there's ahead. some good indie game development out there. But like I, I bought a, uh, my parents bought me a computer for like $500 at Walmart with like the monitor and everything. And it lasted me for like five years. So yeah. it just, yeah, it's pretty cool. But um, yeah. So let's see. When I was 17, um, I finally got my license. Um, I had put that off for a year because I could have gotten it when I was 16. I could have got my learner's permit driving in when I was 15 and a half, but I didn't get my license. Yeah, I got mine when I was 32, so anyway, okay, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, so I was 17 and a half, and then I ended up getting a job, and I worked there until last year. Um, and, um, yeah, so, oh, I also uh, interspersed with the uh, the video gaming and the hanging out with my friends on the weekend. I also, um, you know, I'd go to the comic shop um, and yeah, I was one of those nerds. I would go to the comic shop and play, you know, like Magic the Gathering card games and like uh, Mech Warrior tabletop and that kind of stuff. And it's, it's actually interesting. The first time I ever experienced like physical violence was I was probably 11 or 12. And I was just sitting at uh, a table playing cards with this guy. And I didn't know what his cards did. And, you know, I've, I like barely know how to play the game. So I like, I just went there to hang out with people. And um and I I go to like flip his card around because it's facing him so I can see what it is and he just like slaps my hand and tells me like really hard and tells me not to do that and um <laughs> so I kind of just got up from the table and went outside and I you know I started crying and you know I I called my mom and asked her to come pick me up and that's that's about the only physical violence I've I've ever experienced. Right. I didn't. I didn't talk to my parents about it though, which is interesting. Um. So I don't. So okay. So the issue I'm having is that I feel like I really need to get my GED. I don't have that yet. Um. I don't know algebra. I haven't studied it myself. I kind of. I like math. I just like. I haven't. I just you know, and I like using like Khan Academy. But I just it's sometimes it's just like really hard to get myself started. And then once I get started, I'll do it for like two hours in a row or you know, three hours or something and just like keep doing math problems and I love it. But it's just hard to get started on it. And um Well why? why why should you get started on it? Maybe give me the case as to why you shouldn't keep procrastinating. Okay, so I think a GED will make it a lot easier to get um to get a job. Why do you want a job? Um, let's see. I want to pay off my car. Bought a car from my parents' friends, um, and I've paid off a portion of it. But I'd like I'd like to pay off the rest of it. Uh, and how much do you owe on the car? It's like uh, sixteen hundred dollars. Oh shit! I mean, just get a damn paper route. Work that for a couple of months. You'll pay it off. Well, I'm kind of living in a uh, semi ghetto at the moment. I'm not sure I want to do that. So. But uh, <laughs> but yeah. I mean, no, seriously. I mean, you you can get some kind of job. And and just pay off, and you know maybe you can upgrade a little bit, but I mean no. you. I'm just playing devil's advocate here, right? But but why, 
I mean, yeah, I've applied to some. I've applied to one place in four different positions, uh, like a high class hotel, and I'm looking, sort of looking for other jobs. But um, so let's see. I want to pay off my car. Um, I want to save some money to uh, to go to college, and I'd like to get my GED so that I can do and learn algebra so that I know if engineering would be like the right um, the right area for me to study. Because you know, I don't I don't want to go to college unless it's something like maybe computer science or something to do with engineering. Just so like the you know the uh, the student loan reimburses. Yes, but why? Why do you want any of these things? So, so why do you want to be an engineer or a computer scientist? Like, why? What's the purpose? I think it'd be uh, an interesting field study. And um, no, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. Because if you thought it was going to be an interesting field of study, you'd be studying it already, right? Yeah, I guess so. I'm just, you know, again, just being blunt devil's advocate here, right? I'm just going with the empirical facts, right? So, well, yeah. So. Uh, I was going to say I want to travel, but I don't know if that's that's really the case either. Actually, I'm I'm pretty sure I want to be financially secure, just like and you well, know, sure I, everybody wants to be financially secure, like everybody wants to lose weight, but you know, it's getting there that's the the challenge, right? You know, I have plenty of things I want to do. I want to start my own business. You know, I don't really like working for other people, and you know, I've feel like a degree in engineering or computer science would help me have like a, a base. No, no, no. See, but you're referencing your desires without any empiricism, right? If you wanted to start your own business and you're 20, you'd have started your own business already. Right. I'm not saying you don't, right? I'm just saying that if I wanted to do the that. First, like the first thing to figure out what you're interested in is not to go through a list of nice-to-haves, but to look at, you know, like I'd like to have six-pack abs. <laughs> I mean, I've seen Adam Kokesh running slowly up a hill. <laughs> uh, with his shirt off. In fact, I will. I see it very often in my nightly dreams in slow motion. Yeah. You know, with lots of um, bolero playing in the background. But yeah. I also don't want to work out three hours a day, right? So yes, I would like if I could snap my fingers to have super sexy abs. Um, I mean, I put out a video recently. This titled "I Want to Make Love to Stefan Molyneux," which I can absolutely say with certainty. And, uh, you know, the number of times Adam Kokesh's name came up in the comments was uh, entirely too depressing. But naturally, <laughs> he's a sexy guy. Yeah. Um, oh, I, so, I, yeah, I, I mean, I could say, well, I would like abs. I would like a mohawk. I, you know, I would like a Lamborghini. I, but, but none of these things mean anything. What you have to do, first of all, is look at the empiricism of, of what, what, you're, what you're doing. I mean, and that doesn't mean that's all you'll ever do. But you have to start with what is before you get to what could be, right? Yeah. Okay. So let's go back to your teenage years. All right. Oh, it sounds like the to, script uh, of your teenage years was written by like a gay porn director. <laughs> I don't mean I, I, gay, but what <laughs> I'm saying is that it's like where the girls aren't. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the name of your uh, of your script for, for your teenage yeah. years, right? It's yeah. like, well, I was doing a lot of World of Warcraft gaming, and then I went to the comic book store, and then I went to co-play Magic the Gathering, and was there Warhammer involved? Did you, was, the, was, the, was the graduate crack of Warhammer involved? No, I never play Warhammer. It's too expensive. <laughs> <laughs> is it too, what, what's so expensive? Oh, is it the figurines and stuff? Yeah, the yeah the figurines. It's like the most expensive uh, tabletop game to play. I'm pretty sure. So, uh, did you I also, do the completely cheap Dungeons and Dragons to like chess pieces? You know, I tried to uh, I tried to play Dungeons and Dragons. So I could never get a game going with anyone. So, well, you know, the problem is too is that the rendering graphics engine in Dungeons and Dragons sucks. 
because <laughs> there's like there's no GPU acceleration in your brain. I mean, it's just you know there's there's no uh, Direct X nine in your brain, so it's just whatever you can sort of picture in your idle moments. So uh, until we can actually put you know quad core NVIDIA chips uh, in our frontal lobes, uh, I think D and D's going to lose out to World of Warcraft every time. Well, maybe the Google glasses will be upgraded to the plus. There's math. Uh, yeah. Right. Um, no, I actually did have some female friends, um, mutual friends of me and my sister. Um, these two sisters that um, one of my mom's friends had had. Um, we were friends with them for a while, long time. And um, I also had a couple other female friends kind of just would hang out. You know, it, was like, it wasn't any real like... I don't know. They would like come over for play dates or whatever. It wasn't, you know, and that didn't. I think that ended around like when I was thirteen or fourteen or something like that. Yeah, because I mean, that's what teenage boys most want is female friends. Um, right. You know, peck on the cheek, uh, a nice distant hug. I, I think that's yeah. uh, that's number one. Okay, so um, I, I sorry, I forgot to mention that I've been overweight for most of my life. Um, uh, like since I was probably like. 10, 9, 10, something like that. And what happened, um, do you think? that? So were you like more of a lean kid, or did you always, always have a tendency that way? Uh, I think when I, you know, when I was younger, like a toddler or something, but maybe it was younger than, that, than I, when I started um, bulking up, like maybe, maybe 6 or 7. It's, you know, it's, it's really hard for me to like figure out where stuff is in my timeline. So. Well, don't you have photos? I probably do. I haven't looked at them, though, so... You should. I mean, I would. I would suggest trying to figure out something in your life. You know, one of the things that I've thought about in terms of contemporary childhood is that it's heavily monitored. You know, everyone has video cameras, and they're all taking pictures of their kids and filming them all the time. I like it. It's a surveillance state. You know, it's like how shoplifting goes down when there's video cameras around. Uh, I like that there's lots of cameras around childhood these days. I think that's a that's a good thing. Anyway, so. What do you think happened when you started to bulk up? Do you think that anything in particular happened that may have changed your level of happiness or anything? Well, um, yeah, nothing I can really, nothing I can think of. Um, you know, I think it was similar, like close to the time when I started watching a lot of TV. Um, but yeah, for sure. Other than that, I really, I really don't know. Um, right. Yeah. I mean, TV is definitely uh, TV and video games have. Have made, have disconnected mental activity from physical activity, uh, and that's that's a big problem. Anyway, what I get a sense of, you know, this is just my opinion, and you know, your experience is is the key here. But I just get a sense of, you sound kind of underparented, like you haven't, you know, you you talk about your your teenage years and so on, and especially the overweight thing. To me, when I see overweight kids, the first thing I think of is underparenting. In other words, where are the parents and why aren't the parents noticing that the child is gaining weight and why aren't the parents figuring out what to do and why aren't they sitting down with the kid and why aren't they encouraging better behavior and so on, right? I mean, I don't mean better, like moral, but just better diet, nutrition, exercise, sure. blah, 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 right? Yeah. And, you know, if my, if my kid is overweight uh, and... Is going to, you know, all male hangouts that don't involve bathhouses, uh, and not getting involved in any kind of romantic possibilities as a teenager, then that would be something that, as a parent, I would need to be very much alert to, right? Because you, I mean, you don't want to be uh, getting into your twenties with your V card unpunched, 
I mean, you know, that sounds kind of coarse, and I don't mean necessarily whatever, right? But I mean dating, definitely. You're, you are, your romance card unpunched or whatever. And yeah. so I get a sense of uh, uh, underparenting. Like that, and you also said that you didn't talk about it with your mom when, when you got into the little altercation at the store. Uh, so can you tell me about the level of parental guidance and involvement you've been uh, receiving over your life? Um, hmm. Let's see. So my dad was a stay-at-home dad. Um, he worked from home for uh, my early childhood, and uh, my mom usually uh, worked off-site. So, well, out of the house, I guess. Um, uh, guidance. Okay, so let me just ask uh, you a question. Know, it's, yeah, I went off into the void here. I think of. I'm sorry. Okay, so um, did your parents talk to you about weight gain or or about being overweight? You know, not really. It was it's kind of like you know when they would make dinner or something, and it was like you know a filling dinner or something. It's like you know pasta or something like mac and cheese or. You know, like spaghetti and, and meat sauce or something. They would say, you know, like, well, don't you know. car-based family, aren't you? <laughs> well, not not always. Um, a lot less so recently, but um, back then. And so yeah, sorry, just to interrupt. Are your parents overweight? No, no. My dad has always been skinny as a a twig kind of, and my mom is uh has kind of like hourglass figure, but she's she's not really. I wouldn't say she's overweight. You know, maybe five or ten pounds or something. And my sister's never been. She's always been. In great shape, but she rides horses. So, right, okay. So, when you understand, right? I mean, preparing your children for success in the world is, I mean, one of the main goals uh, as as a parent. And obviously, being overweight, tragically, I mean, rightly or wrongly, it significantly reduces your opportunities for dating, right? Oh yeah, I'm I'm really insecure, really self conscious, and so. and of course, it's 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 bad for your health to be overweight in your teens, right? It significantly raises chances of of heart disease. And I'm not trying to freak you out. I'm just as far as I know, right? I mean, no, I know for sure. Stuff, right? It's nothing. So, if it's harmful to you socially, if it's harmful to your confidence, if it's harmful to your health, if it's harmful to your um, capacity for for dating, romance, and so on, then wouldn't I mean, in an ideal world, wouldn't parents prevent it? Like, oh, you know, gaining a little bit of weight. Let's sit down and figure out what's going on. Um, you yeah. said that your dad was a stay-at-home dad and he worked from home. So did you have a fair amount of um, unsupervised time? Yeah, he, he worked from home for the first few years. And then my parents bought a business uh, about, was it like eight or nine years ago, I think. And so he did like all the books and stuff. So yeah, I, I had a, I mean, it was mostly unsupervised time, I would say. And um, was it like the TV babysitter kind of thing? I I don't know if it was that so much because we did we did go out and like go to uh, you know go to that local farm and you know we would go to homeschooling groups and uh, and that kind of thing and then the time in between there wasn't any real like studying or anything like that it was mostly just you know I was just watching TV or you know I watched TV with my dad or. But I guess it it kind of is. 
Yeah, I mean, look, I, I, to be honest, I mean, not that, not that I'm, I always hate that phrase because it sounds like I'm now going to switch tack, to be honest with you. But right. TV is, is a great temptation for parents. It, it re, because, I mean, if you got to get, all parents need to get things done. And TV is like this great temptation because, you know, it's this great electric black hole that will swallow up your children's attention for a fairly indefinite amount of time. Mm-hmm. And I have to, I mean, it's not, it's not discipline for my daughter, it's discipline for me. Like, I need to make sure that we do stuff that's not TV-based for most of the day. Right. But, but it is tempting, right? I mean, so for me, it's like, well, I could write this article or I could do this important thing and my daughter could just watch, you know, 20 minutes of, of TV or whatever. Or I can play Candyland or Hungry Hippo for the 12,000th time, right? And right. as a parent, of course you have a life outside of being a parent and you want to have the intellectual stimulation and so on. So there is, there is, it's a great temptation to, to have the all seeing eye of Sauron <laughs> overlook your, uh, your kids uh, or, or, you know, hand an iPad or something like that. And so it is, um, but it, it also tends to want to be one of these things that is, is, um, uh, it, it it separates parents and children, I think, if if overused. Uh, so I mean, so you say you'd sit down and watch TV with your dad. Now, when you're, uh, you know, my daughter wants to watch a show or whatever, we'll talk about the show. Oh, they're doing this. Oh, what do you think of that? Or you know, so it becomes something we can talk about. But if she's watched a couple of shows that I haven't, I can't really. I say, oh, what did you watch? Oh, I watched this. Or and, but we we can't really talk about it much. You know, I like took her to the science center the other day and. I mean, we just had a great day. You know, it was, it was so much fun um, because we could do stuff that we could really talk about. And then we could talk about it afterwards. And I could talk about some of the physical principles involved in what she was doing. And she could say, yes, but I just like it when the paper goes flying through the air or whatever. And so, but I get, I get a sense that you did not get a lot of proactive guidance, that your parents were very hands off. And I don't mean that they avoided you or whatever, but in terms of real connection, because your teenage years sound kind of drifty to me and not, yeah. not personally connected to someone in a very real way. And again, tell me if I'm wrong. I mean, just going by what you're saying and my thoughts about it, but I want to defer, of course, to your experience, which is the final arbiter. No, I, I would say that's ringing bells with me. And I had never considered that, really. Children do need a lot of guidance. I mean, <laughs> nature makes them helpless for a reason. Uh, nature makes them helpless and dependent because they have to adapt to whatever crazy culture they're in so they don't, don't get killed. That's the general <laughs> historical thing. Right. But children need a lot of guidance, a lot of n- n- not like nudges here and there, right? And, yeah. uh, and it, you know, like course corrections are much easier earlier on than later, right? Yeah, if you're two degrees off when you sail from Lisbon to New York, you know, you'll end up half a continent away, right? But if you just course correct it at the beginning, it's very easy, right? Just, oh, two degrees to the left. There we go. Now we get to New York. Right. And you can't be raised on video games. You can't be raised by television. You can't be raised by other people who have that similar disconnection. I mean, the fantasy world is vivid because... The, the personal world is lackluster. Why would you prefer video games and television to talking with your parents or to, you know, getting help from your parents or whatever, right? 
Right. It's because the fantasy world is, is, is colorful because the personal world is monochrome. Hmm. There's more stimulation from TV and video games than there is from connection with those around you. Now, I understand that video games in particular are you know, designed by crack addicts. You know? <laughs> I mean, they really, oh, one more thing, oh, one more level. Oh, I get it. I mean, so I'm not saying it's easy to compete with these mediums as a mere mortal who only has you know, a pulse and a brain. But it is, uh, I think it's really important to understand Dan, that it's, I would say it's not so much procrastination that would be the challenge to deal with, but a lack of guidance, a lack of preparation for the adult world, a lack of connection with people around you, a lack of uh, social skills, uh, a lack of romantic skills, a lack of personal care skills, you know, like nutrition and exercise, a lack of life skills like planning skills and so on. These all need to be layered in very early on. To, to be easiest, right? And it's tough to fill them in later. You can do it. You could do it just like you can lose weight when you're 20, but it's a whole lot easier to not gain weight when you're eight, right? Right. And so I don't think that the problem, I certainly wouldn't personalize the problem, but to me, it's the difference between a satellite that's in orbit and a satellite that's broke orbit and is just kind of wandering in between the depths of the stars, right? Uh, it seems to me that you've been sort of rudderless or unguided or unprepared for a significant number of adult things, which is why you have these this lack of connection between, you know, well, I, I'd, I'd like to start my company. I'd like to be, an, maybe I'd like to be an engineer, maybe. But these are all idle speculations. And I don't mean that you can't achieve them or you shouldn't have them. Who knows, right? Maybe, I'm sure you can achieve them, right? Obviously very intelligent with great verbal skills. But I just feel that there's, a gap in guidance. And if, if there has been an absence of guidance, of feedback, of course corrections over the course of your life, and particularly over the course of your teenage years, then you are going to face adult life significantly un, underprepared. Mm. But, but tell me what, I mean, if I'm doing anything other than talking to myself, I mean, does this make, make any sense? Is this close to me? Is this way of face? Or... No, um, yeah, I, I can't. I don't think I can really disagree with anything you're saying. Um, yeah, there are other things uh, I didn't mention. Um, like my dad has a uh, like a, a temporary thing. You know, he like he'll get like angry really easily, and um, you know, kind of burst out. And then, um, and then, kind of be passive aggressive about it for like anywhere from you know a few minutes to like a few days. Sometimes you know it's it's not a it's not a very constant thing, but like um, he'll get angry with my my mom really easily over like stupid you know little crap. Like I remember one time um, we were packing up the truck to go to a uh, to go to our my aunt and uncles which is like four hours away and um the truck was like packed full and my mom brought this cooler out and they started getting into it for some reason you know my dad was angry because like she didn't have the cooler out already because um 
he you know couldn't put in the plan for packing the truck or whatever and i finally i just got so exhausted i just said you know just shut up like you know i'll put the cooler under my feet it's not a big deal and my dad's like you shut up i don't think you really meant yeah i don't know so yeah no no i got it i got it right so yeah so sorry go ahead uh, there's also uh, i just want to mention this real quick like my dad um used to be a carpenter and like he would want me to help him do projects around the house and stuff and when i say help it kind of means like he would want me to sit there and hand him tools and not let like not really let me do anything or explain to me what he was doing so it was just like bored out of my mind all the time and then <laughs> and then when i'd be like bored and not paying attention and like you know walking around and kicking rocks and stuff, he would get angry. You know, you get, like, annoyed because, you know, I wasn't paying attention or helping him or, or whatever. So kind of like an impossible situation, right? Like, I'm I'm not engaged in what I'm doing, but I can't not pay attention to what I'm not engaged in, right? Yeah. Concentrate on this television that's not on. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Right. Right. Yeah, so, I mean... I think those those are important things to to consider, but um, yeah, I mean, I mean, obviously, I also recommend talking to a therapist about these these kinds of things. I think that's important, but I think you know maybe it may be worthwhile sitting down with your parents and and talking to them about you know feel a little unprepared. I feel like I'm not moving ahead in my life in the way that I wanted that I want to, and so on, and I don't like my weight, and so on, and. You know, I'm just wondering why, you know, when I started to gain weight, did you guys notice? Did you think I should or shouldn't? I mean, I feel like I, you know, just things just kind of happened, you know, without a lot of, I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but whatever it is that you sort of think or experience, I think that. No, yeah, definitely, definitely. And I actually, um, I have, I have your, uh, your five book deal. And so I've read through, um, uh, on, you know, on tyranny and, or yeah. And uh, UPB, and, and I just finished RTR a couple days ago. And uh, my mom just read The Tyranny. Yeah. On Truth. Oh, on Truth, right. The Tyranny of Illusion. Right, right, right. right yeah. And uh, oh, my, cool. dad, my dad read all the, uh, the Everyday Anarchy and stuff, and he read UPB. And um, I'm trying to get him to read RTR. My mom wants to read RTR. So, you know, my well, dad's. Good. Yeah, my dad's, my dad's uh, like a libertarian type. I'm not sure if he's like full ANCAP or not, but. Yeah, so. Yeah, give him some time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a step. It's quite a step. Yeah. But uh, good. Okay, so yeah. so you may, I mean, it's certainly with your mom, at least you can sort of sit down and have a conversation. Um, uh, you know, if they didn't know what they didn't know, you know, I guess that's something to, to start discussing. But um, yeah. it's, see, yeah, I would just, I would really look at not, I would not take these things as personal deficiencies, obviously, right? But, but that there's some uh, people that are just looking in the chat window having trouble with what I call course correction or guidance or whatever but it's like, it's like coaching i mean <laughs> we don't want to reinvent the wheel when we're people right i mean there's there's ways to learn how to do gymnastics that will not get you injured or at least minimize that opportunity and coaching is is very important i guess we you know if, if we've had negative experiences with authority or bad coaches or bullies or whatever then maybe people think i'm mean, uh, restricting the, the child's freedom or whatever no i mean you, you're actually facilitating the child's desires you're facilitating the child's desires, right? If the child doesn't know how to turn the television on and you teach the child how to turn the television on, that's coaching, right? Uh, it's helping the child to gain the skills that the child needs to achieve what the child wants in an efficient way. We don't let children invent their own language, right? We teach them the words for things. It's coaching. 
So it's really just teaching life skills and um, helping the child to extend the concept of cause and effect and so on, right? So, I mean, the good news, caller, is that your brain is not done developing. You've still got another half decade to go. So you can make changes now that will be, I think, very, very positive and, and easier than if you were, say, 30. But I think that when we, when we have trouble moving forward, we need to go back. We need to go back. We need to circle back and, and figure out, you know, what's – I mean, if, if we're trying to get someplace in the woods and it's, you know, we're, we're supposed to be on some easy path and the, it keeps getting thicker and <laughs> boggier and, you know, worse and more rocky and so on, then we have to go back. Where we have to go back, find the path, and right, and so everything you talked about was in terms of oh, I want to get my GED, go to college, and, and all about the future. But if you're unprepared for the future, I think you need to go to go back, circle back, and uh, and uh, figure out what you're missing to go forward. Otherwise, you're going to keep plunging on, and I think you're going to keep feeling like you're deficient in some manner, and it's going to be personalized to you rather than you just didn't get some some life skills that you needed to get and you can still, you can still get them right but that that would be my um my suggestion okay yeah i agree thank you that's really great advice i like you're that you're very welcome and uh, yeah drop me a line let me how, know how it goes as always i always like to hear how things are going and uh, i you know congrats, do do give your parents my congratulations for um being open to these these ideas i think that's fantastic yeah great okay thank you Stefan. i will right. you're welcome uh, next up, um, we have Justin. Hey, guys. Can you hear me? Yep. Okay, cool. Uh, so um, I guess my, my main topic is going to be the relationship I'm in now and, uh, and sort of how it has to tie in with a little bit of things that, that about my past that have been um, heretofore unexamined uh, until the last several months. And, uh, boy, <laughs> I'm so nervous and it's a little kind of emotionally trying for me because it's one of those situations where, to give you an analogy, um, I had a cat that I really, really loved. You know, it was really one of those uh, runner, once-in-a-lifetime type pets where it, you just bond with it really well. And she had a disease that she still could have lived with it, but it would have been sufferable. Like, it would have been insufferable. Uh, but she still would have been alive, and I had to choose between my, you know, my selfishness of, of keeping the cat alive for me versus letting the cat go. To because she had a disease called megacolon, where colon doesn't form, you know, form debris anymore. It just kind of gets stuck in there and doesn't move out or anything. And so I just I decided to put her down. And <laughs> emotionally, I'm in a similar situation with this uh this woman i've been dating for the past seven years and i'm moving more towards a point where i've i value myself more i respect myself more and i'm starting to recognize what i value and respect in other people more and at first to be honest and honest i do have mild control freak sadistic tendencies when it comes to personal relationships um I've curved that a lot over the years, but instead of, uh, and I'm going to talk to her about this today, and um, and instead of trying to approach it from a standpoint of, you know, 
because like like it's been said it's really hard for people to change if they change at all you know without their own impetus um i just <laughs> it's one of those things where I, she's like she's a really close friend of mine too and like she we we she we 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 would get along well without um being together you know it's one of those situations where we're really good friends and we also happen to evolve into be you know to an, an, an a loving relationship but you know uh, we've been seven years into it and i've been thinking about you know moving in with her and i'm hesitant about it for you know for reasons that i've just recently figured out and <laughs> i don't just want to eject her from my life either because i don't think that's fair to either of us but I don't think it's also fair for me to continue on as things are because she doesn't exhibit the things that I value any longer. You know what I mean? Like what? Uh, well, like for example, she, she's getting heavier. She's getting, she's gaining more weight to the point where she has to buy clothing and she doesn't like it. And she tries and tries to stop it, but she seems powerless to stop it. And I've talked to her about this before, but, still it continues on like she she has self-esteem issues that i've i knowing enough about her past i just don't know where they came from and she's not sure either and one of the biggest things that i value is communication and she just doesn't communicate i mean it's literally to the point where i'll ask her a question point blank to her face and i get zero response and that really triggers <laughs> you know it makes me sad and angry at the same time and it's disrespectful because you know you ask someone a question you expect some response you know like even if it's just i don't know what to say about that right now let me think about let me think that think about it and i'll get back to you but i can't trust her to get back to me because she doesn't i have to right. chase her feels like to give me a response and i don't understand i just i don't <laughs> Right. You know, but, but in the same context, you know, if we were to talk about something that doesn't approach anything about her issues or anything, like World of Warcraft, for example, or whatever else interests her that we share a mutual interest in, she'll go on a mile a minute about it. But when it comes to her stuff, it's locked down. <laughs> you know? Right. And I don't, and me being, um, you know, me being a bisexual, I've, you know, I'm also attracted, you know, to men. And, you know, I, as dickish as it may sound to me, I did say to her, you know, because she, she did say once to me that, you know, I don't feel as if I'm good enough for you. And I said to her, well, you know, to be honest, partly you aren't because you don't have the, all the parts, you know, physically speaking. Mentally, you know, you're 80% there. Uh, but, you know, my entire adult life has been a constant evolution of moving from one phase of mental development to another. And now I'm coming across another and she's not moving with me and that sucks. <laughs> hmm. Right. And I don't know what to do about it now because it's not like she's ever done anything wrong to me or anything, you know, <laughs> I have to stick up for myself, but at the same time, there's nothing. It's like, it feels like she's dying of cancer and there's not a damn thing I can do about it. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and if I say, well, you're dying of cancer and there's nothing I can do about it. And you, but at the same time, I don't have the resources to put into you anymore, so I'm going to walk away now. I just, it's, I, I don't know what to do. 
because I know if I tell her, you know, this stuff, you know, and, you know, and date somebody else or introduce somebody else, I don't have anyone else right now, but let's just say it were to happen, she would stop calling and stop coming around. And that's not what I want either because we're still close friends. But the relationship right. is just like stale and stagnant. And I'm ready to move forward and she can't, it seems like. And I don't think there's anything I can do to help her. I don't. I, or what you know? What, has would, she, what has would she you always, say? Sorry, has she always been? Um, has she always been uh, unwilling to discuss personal issues? No, it's it, it's, I, and that's why I'm coming to back to. If, is it one of? Is it? You know how you sometimes the, the things it's said that you train how people will react to you or respond to you by the way you are, and you know when I was first learning of you know how crappy some of the dynamics are in society and that there was nothing I could do about it. I got angry, you know, there's all these problems, rah, 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 there's nothing I can do about it. I got angry and that anger turned into a raw seething rage and it just spurted out across everyone that it dared cross my path even slightly. And she never got the brunt of it, but you know, I'm not I wasn't the easiest person to speak to because I was so overly passionate and sometimes that passion would just spill over into rage because I had things I didn't resolve emotionally. Is, back it, is this what you mean by the mild sadism? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's particularly worse when a person opens up to me and allows me into their personal, you know, relationship area. I will – I don't anymore, and, I, and when I catch it, I pull it or I rein it in now, but I would automatically exploit weaknesses – as like a, as a, like a lesson to them, you know, or you shouldn't be this way because I can just easily exploit you, and I'm gonna blah blah blah. I wouldn't say that, but that's what that's what would go through in my mind, you know, after the fact. Now, I don't do it anymore, mm. but it, I I can catch it creeping up, and that's why I want to be very very careful and very respectful when I have this conversation because I want. I mean, it's going to be difficult no matter what's said or how it's said, but I want to help her be better because i know she wants to be better but it's like she just can't for some reason just she doesn't know about right well i mean so if she has been in, uh, open before then it could just be that she doesn't feel particularly safe around you because of your recent history of um, i think that's as you say case. being upset yeah. about yeah yeah and, and so obviously I, pushing her on this is not going to make her feel uh, safer or or more secure uh, can you tell me a little bit about your early childhood my early childhood, from what mm -hmm. little I remember of it, well, I can tell you that um, I didn't have a father because father and mother decided it was just my mother that raised me along with my grandparents. And it was the usual ho-hum childhood. There was no abuse. There was no, uh, you know, you're going to do this or else type of stuff that I can recall. Uh, worst case, I could tell out was my was my, 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 mother, my mother being 19. She wasn't really prepared to deal with, you know, a child. So she, you know, had her fumblings that we've we've spoken about before, and she's apologized for. You know, she's like, I wasn't the best mother, was I? And I was like, No, you weren't. But you know, you did what you did, and I turned out not the way I turned out, and we're fine now. And we discussed these things. At least we, she was willing to discuss it, and she apologized. You know. So you were born to a 19-year-old single mom with no dad. Dad tried. He was there, but he tried. But it didn't work out because he was he – was, um, mother has this thing with guys where she'll take in 
men that are fundamentally broken to the point where they where they abuse themselves with vice and then they turn around and abuse her and dad that 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 pattern started with dad and then went on to to all those others so a majority of my childhood um the bad parts are mostly highlighted by mother's string of shitty men and how would you how would your mother be abused by these men Oh man, they would. There was one guy that would near beat her to death. Near, I was scared. There was one night I was even thinking about it. Now I feel a little rageful towards the guy. I'd probably kill him if I saw him again. But she would just come home, be all nice to him, or vice versa, and he'd be in a drunken rage, and he would beat the ever-loving crap out of her nonstop. And there was one night it was really bad, and I was like a fat little chubby kid. And I shoved myself out of this window <laughs> to run up to my grandparents to get them to come help because I was I didn't know what else to do. I was scared. Right. Well, you can't let it go that- on. I mean, that's part of my personality. When I see something is wrong, I at least have to point it out, I feel. But in that situation, you know, a little eight-year-old is not going to go up against this gargantuan 200-pound, six-foot-one man who's insanely rageful. <laughs> right. Now, I hope you are aware, or maybe you're not, but that you gave me some very contradictory information, which you may not be conscious of. Oh, did of. I? I yeah. may not be. Well, she look, first of all... out to me I'm, ever so kindly. Yeah, no, no, that's fine. Listen, and I, I first of all, I want to express unbelievable sympathy for what you experienced as a child. Mm. That's unholy. That is unbelievably wretched. You, as good. you say, to hear, you. to hear your mother almost being beaten to death or fearing that oh, man. by a succession of shitty men is unbelievably horrifying. And I just really, really want to express unbelievable sympathy. I mean, I'm fighting not to cry here just because I want to stay sort of present to you to what get you're me choked me. up too. <laughs> no, listen, this is, this is unbelievably awful. What an incredibly terrifying and oh, I can still hear her screaming. It was, oh man. <laughs> I don't doubt it. But that's burned into your brain. Right and and of course, what an incredibly emasculating experience! Because the first thing you want to do is protect your mother. Yeah, and I couldn't except you go get my big bad grandpa. <laughs> you can't, and you know the murderous rage that you feel. You say you kill the guy if you if you saw him now. You feel you might. That is that is appalling experiences to have gone through, and I'm I'm really just that's so outside the norm that's like even the norm now that's this it's demonic it's satanic and i just really want to show get you to understand hopefully that I, I i sympathize with the horror and the fear and the rage of that it's 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 appalling and of course it's terrifying for you because your mom keeps bringing these guys in and this keeps happening and yeah so I, I just he, he was I the really, worst. She she did learn a little bit after him, but he was he was the worst man. <laughs> right. Right. I'm 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 just that is so terrifying. And that is so appalling. Listen, my mom did not make great choices with her boyfriends either. So um I'm with yeah. you there, brother. It it is just appalling. It's 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 
it's terrible. I'm fairly good with language, and I can't even come up with good words to yeah, experience and, this kind of terror. I mean, to have this kind just, of behavior modeled, to think that this has something to do with masculinity, to be powerless in this way, uh, to be helpless, to to see this happening again, uh, even though you say it got better, it, it's a shitty thing to have to get better from. Oh, so I know. I'm yeah, just really sorry. I've learned that that has nothing to do with masculinity, but it's it's still – and, and listening and hearing you speak, I'm wondering if I've never really dealt – with the helplessness that I felt from all that, you know? Well, I'll, I'll tell you why I think myself. you haven't. I'll, I'll tell you why I think you haven't. Uh, and I mean this in all sympathy. Like I, I, this is not finger-wagging. Like, this is some unbelievable stuff to deal with. I mean, get, get to a therapist. Like, call a therapist after this, right? Because you, you right. can process this alone. This is too heavy. But listen, do you remember what you said when I asked you what your early childhood was like? Mm-hmm. Uh, Maybe. <laughs> what did you say? I said it wasn't that bad. No, you didn't say it wasn't that bad. You or, or said it was, was ho-hum, uh, average, and there was no abuse. Right. Ah, uh, yeah. There was no abuse oh, to sorry, me. You said I directly. wasn't abused. Right. But you were. Yeah, I suppose I was. Right. I mean, if you see someone get hit by a train, you're not hit by a train, but it affects you. Correct. Okay. If your mother brings violent men, a, a series of violent men into your environment as a child, then that's abusive to you as a developing child. I'm not saying that your mom was like constant, consciously trying to hurt you or anything like that. But, but, and also, I don't know if you see the connection between the woman that you're talking about who's gaining weight and your mother. I don't. Well, you are trying to save another woman that, that you can't save. Ah, uh, okay. I do now. Gotcha. And, and these kinds of connections, look, you're obviously fiercely intelligent. I mean, and, and very passionate. I, and, and obviously, you're working to curb your manipulative tendencies and your sadistic tendencies, which I hugely respect. Hugely respect. Good for you. Yes. And there's no way, I think, that without therapy that you can make these connections and free yourself from some of this repetition but if you say to a woman who says I don't think that I'm enough for you and you say well you're right because you don't have a penis right. that she's going to want to trust you with her innermost secrets and, and, and her most vulnerable areas right right, and, and that's a level of, of empathy and understanding that you're still working towards right right but I think you need to denormalize what happened to you as a child. It's outrageous. It's appalling. It's horrifying. I mean, you feared the murder of your caregiver. You feared close calls. Yes. And you know what? I'm telling you, you were right to feel that. And people don't know what happens when you uncork the genie of violence. Yeah. You know, like I was reading about... Um, some guy, you know, he just pushed a guy in the bar. The guy stumbled backwards, cracked his head on a table, and bled out on the bar floor. Right. All he does is push a guy. You don't know what's going to happen when you uncork violence. And so the fact that you feared the murder of your mother and were helpless to prevent it is, is uh, uh, I mean, this is uh, uh, unbelievably traumatic. 
for a child to, to experience. It is a brutalization of all forms of security and trust and protection. And how is your mother supposed to protect you when she invites a potential murderer into her bed? Yeah. What were you talking about earlier when you were saying, don't make me choke up? How far, oh, well, how far are those feelings? You said you were talking about uh, when you said you were have, having trouble from the words. I was getting choked up just thinking about it because <laughs> I can how, still my, my memory is not the greatest. Yeah, how far away are those can, things for you? Oh, they're right there. I mean, I I haven't thought about that stuff because I've when I was going through my young my twenties, you know, I formed this angry, hard uh, shell with spikes on it, you know, and anyone that got in close enough you know was i that i would i was uh and I'm, it's hard to say it's really hard for me to find the words <laughs> just put the two together i'm just going to picture you know where the sadistic behavior came from it was like i would sabotage relationships whether they're friendships or, or closer on purpose because i have not fully denormalized and processed uh, yeah, look, I mean, look, the, the, the lesson you got was sex is, is death, intimacy is death, love is murder. Yeah. I mean, you say that you formed this persona, good Lord, no. This was an adaptive persona necessary based upon the experiences that, that you went through. You didn't just sort of wake up one day with a full, open, and peaceful heart and say, I think I will yeah. form this hard shell around myself and be spiky and angry and fear intimacy. No, right. you saw what intimacy led to. In the case of your mother, that intimacy was a form of suicide, right? You said about this woman who's gaining weight. It's like you have cancer. There's a suicidality to it. Well, this was sexuality for your mother. It, would, it sounds like, I mean, to invite people who beat you half to death as your lovers. I mean, my God, what an unbelievably toxic example to set for your children. Yeah, and we've we've talked about the the, the 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 history of that particular incident and, and that guy and the, and the other ones too. And she had said that there's a part of her that she likes to take in things that she feel need helped. Like she'll take in stray dogs and animals, and but you know she's learned to curb it and control it because she just most people just don't have the resources to devote to that kind of uh, just taking in every random thing. But she. I said to her, you know, you know, and looking back on our history together, you would do that with your men. You'd take in these problem men because you felt sorry for them, you know, because she was talking to me about her current marriage. And, you know, she doesn't really want to be in it, but it's comfortable. And she had a chance to get out, but she didn't because he's a savvy subcase and she's a sucker for the savvy subcases, you know. And I said to her, well, you know, these savvy subcases almost led to your death. When I was eight years old, and there's not a damn thing I could have done about it to help you, even though I wanted to, you know. Well, and but you understand the pattern that you're trying to save this woman from her growing obesity. Yeah, well, it's and just, you're saying it's not I just really want to save her. Right. Sorry. Go ahead. It's her obesity is just an example of like, I don't know. It's like she wants to do better things, but she needs a. It's I, I'm I'm it's it's like I. Yeah, I, I thought what you're saying. It's just I, I don't want to save her, save her, but I at the same time I just don't want to see her say she wants to do something and and be helpless against it. With when losing weight is perfectly within the bounds of someone's control in most cases, I would think. 
Well, no, I look, I understand that. I understand that. But what I'm saying is that that you feel this, and this is a vast improvement for your from your mother, right? I mean, this is right. huge progress, right? In that it's weight issues and ambition issues rather than don't hit me with a lamp issues. So whatever, I mean, this is <laughs> right. huge improvements, right? But there's right. still an underlying pattern, right? I mean, that a lot of people who want to fix other people in the world are running away from their own brokenness. If I make this dog better, then I'm better. If I make this cat better, then I'm better. If I make this sick person better, then I'm better. I have value if I fix what is broken, arises out of a brokenness that's being avoided. Right. So rather than worry about this other woman's weight and her ambition traction, it's your history that needs to be examined. You're not in a fit state to help others yet. And I mean this with sympathy and with respect for your desire to help other people. But there's a lot that you need to process. And now when you do process it, you will be of enormous value to the world. But I think in this instance, or in this circumstances, there's still a lot that remains unprocessed. And listen, I respect you enormously for having the courage to talk about these things. I also share your contempt for the culture that has led you go this long without anyone stopping you up and stopping you short and saying, listen, this is unbelievably traumatic. You need to get some professional help with this. This is some right. unholy, like, concentration camp stuff. <laughs> yeah. And I, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that it happened to you. I'm so sorry that it happened to you. I mean, I can feel it. My hand, I can feel my heart pulse in my hands, in my fingertips, with what a terrifying and destabilizing situation that was. Yeah, it's unpredictable. It's in, here, hearing you uh, bounce it back at me, it's I didn't put the the two the two to, two together like I did. I kind of just presumed I dealt with it, but uh, you know, I don't think I ever really did. <laughs> now, now hearing you and you know feeling what I'm feeling as a result. What are you feeling as a result? I it's. Uh, it's hard to explain. It's almost like something fresh and raw has bubbled to the surface that was previously entombed in some uh, behind something else. It's that yeah. uh, weird butterfly, choky, teary type feeling you get in your gut and your face. When you're yeah, well described. Yeah, no, I feel it's like a, I feel like a sort of a helium balloon of possibility is opening <laughs> yeah. up in my chest, like blowing up or yeah. like slowly not exploding, but you know, like puffing up. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, I think and, that we're yeah. close to some some real truth, some real helpful truth. So, listen, I'm going to just give you some. I hate to give advice to anyone. I, I normally sure. just give my opinion, but I'm going to tell you some very specific things right now, and I okay. hope that you will listen. I hope that they will be helpful. Do not make any major life decisions while you're in this state, because when this stuff bubbles up, the defenses will kick in, and will urge you okay. to do something to distract yourself. Right. So don't suddenly find yourself moving in with this woman oh no i won't yeah, yeah okay i'm just don't suddenly find yourself quitting your job or going to get drunken in a bar fight or whatever it is right don't find yourself yeah. suddenly going out and acting out sexually right so recognize that this 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 the defenses are there to protect you but unfortunately the defenses have cut off the oxygen supply to your nature right Understood. it's like 
it's like we put on armor to protect ourselves, but if we live in that armor too long, we turn into a ghost, and there's nothing inside the armor anymore. And that's not the case with you yet, because that's why I'm asking how close these feelings are for you. And if he's like, well, it's, look, it's like I'm looking them at them on a screensaver from across the room. It's like, well, that's not good, but you can feel that, which means that, that oh, yeah. you're alive in there, which is incredible. You kept that flame alive. But don't make any major decisions until you get yourself into the care of a therapist who knows how to deal with trauma, like significant trauma, like PTSD-style trauma. Okay. Ask for that specialty. It, it, it was warlike what you experienced as a child. In fact, it was bigger than war. War happens to an adult personality. And you usually have choices even before you go to war, which you don't have as a child, which you can go to jail right. or you can go to Canada or whatever, right? And even if you're in the army these days, you can try and get out. So what you experienced, in my opinion, as a child was warlike. It was um, the end of the world, not... Right, my mom got beaten because for a kid well, whose mom is in that kind of situation, it feels that way, right? It actually it exactly felt that way. It's exactly what it felt like. Yeah, it's not. I mean, it's the world that could end. It's it's my life. Your life is in danger. If someone kills your caregiver, it's usually because there's some horrible thing going on. And I'm telling you, historically, most times you'd kill a mom, you'd have to kill the kids too. I mean, the story of Conan <laughs> didn't come out of nowhere. Where if you don't right. kill the kid, the kid will come back and get you, right? Right. So after my mom is murdered, it will be me who's murdered, which is why you went out the window. Do you see what I'm saying? I do, yep. So this is why I'm saying it was incredibly awful that you feared for your life. And even if your mom, your mom was disabled, then like, let's say that her legs were broken or her arm was broken – what would that mean to her capacity to provide for you? I'm talking about like when our genes were developing, right? Oh, yeah. 10,000 yeah. years ago. You, you're screwed, right? She almost had her neck broken in that incident, that's for sure. <laughs> right. And then uh, not only is no one able to provide for you, but you then have to take care of a paralyzed mother. Genetically, that yeah. would be the end of you, right? So it was a life-ending, a potentially life-ending event. And, and not just one. I know it got, you say it got better afterwards, but a, you know, a series. Less beating doesn't mean less danger. Right. Because anything can happen in a beating. A blood clot, uh, anything, right? Someone just falls the wrong way. Uh, she, somebody uh, just you know, accidentally hits it, a nose into the brain, sorry? Hearing you speak, Speak. She did mention something to me. This is uh, it was about a week ago or so. We were talking about um, I forget what we were talking about, but it came up. We were talking about my dad and how he how she was going to call him up, and it was my birthday a few days ago. Yeah, that's how it started. She was going to call him up and ask her, "Why don't you ever call your son up on his birthday?" And you know, it's a whole other topic. Uh, uh, but I said to her, uh, in summary, I said to her, "You know, it's okay, mother." Dad and I, we had a talk about it. You know, he apologized profusely. I expressed how I felt about his absence and et cetera. And, you know, and he's not really ever been a part of my life. I'm not a part of his, you know, and you know, we, we went on there and um, we discussed it. And she mentioned in passing sort of, you know, well, you know, your dad used to beat me. And I felt that little rage monster stop and say, well, 
say again? What do you mean? The sixteen-year-old dad beat you when I was? Oh yeah, when you when you were you when I was pregnant with you. Oh. I'm like, so let me get this straight. My sixteen-year-old dad beat you when you were pregnant with me, and and I said to her, "What what was your response to that?" And she's like, "I I I was pregnant six months or so, and I couldn't do anything but defend my baby as best I could." You know, and, and there's an argument starting to wonder if that's taking on the violence of these hugely aggressive men throughout the years was her way of trying to defend me, you know? Oh, sorry, her way of trying to what? Defend me. Because whenever it would happen, even though how small I was, particularly this one violent guy, the one that, the one episode that got me all choked up while I was talking to you and we were, we were discussing earlier was uh, when I was eight years old. And whenever it would happen, I would always try to intervene, you know, because like, who's going to hit a kid? You know, I, I, that's, that was my mindset when I was eight years old. You know, who's going to hit a young kid? So I would always try to insert myself between the violence and her in some way by making a distraction. Uh, but she would always pull the ire of the beast, you know, away from me and bow to her. You know, and tell me to go back in my room, but except that one night when it was just, I thought she was going to kick the can for good that time. That's when I shimmied out the, the window up to my grandparents to get help. Yeah, look, I mean, I, I appreciate this. And I look, I mean, trying to figure out the motives of your mom may be helpful at some point, but I yeah, think that yeah. you should not do it now. I think you should okay. be focusing on your own experience. It's hard to, logically, it's hard to say I'm trying to defend my kid by bringing violent men into the house. I, yeah, I don't know what right? really went through it. But, but <laughs> yeah. I think it's really important to not focus on the motives of other people right now, but to focus on your own experience, your own original experience, the own, your own outrage, shock, horror, anger, fear, right. and not worry about the motives of other people, the motives of the man. Who, what was he doing? And what was my mom doing? Forget about that. They need to focus on your own experience. Okay. And I hope that you will... I mean, I'd, I'd like to extract a promise, but I, I can't, right? I hope that you will call up someone and, and re, you, you need some help to process this. And, and you need some, a witness who's going to help you through the storms of these experiences. And my God, the strength you'll have on the other side will be astounding. I, I but do right now. A psychoanalyst. <laughs> has he never talked to you about any of this stuff? I guess he, I don't I've know never if he brought can. it up. I've never yeah. brought it up. Not this. Well, episode. maybe you can ask him for a referral for somebody who's who knows yeah. how to, you know, tell him what happened and, and say you want some help and get a referral. I mean, if he's a friend and and, and you know, maybe he can t- he can point you towards someone who's who's good. But but you need this. You you deserve this. You've you've earned this. And I mean, I can't urge you strongly enough. I mean, I went through therapy and uh, I didn't go through what you went through. And uh, I just really want to express again, just it's, it's, it's shocking beyond words that this happens in the world. Yeah. Um, I know it does. I know it does. And I need, you need to get more shocked about it. And, and I understand why you're not. I completely understand why you're not. And I sympathize with the reasons for it. But I think that that's where you need to head, get some help with this stuff to denormalize it, to have a witness to work through the feelings, to, to help hold you as these storms break loose and, and free and, and you become free of them. Understood. I will certainly try. I'm not try. I will. Now that it's been brought up. Yeah. Good. Good for you, man. Good for you. Fuck. That's, that's brave. You know, that's, yeah. that's brave stuff and good for you for wanting to help your mom. I mean, that's brave too, but this is a different yeah. kind of courage. 
This is the kind of courage that lays the foundation for a free and peaceful life, which I think will be free of these tendencies of manipulation, of exploiting weaknesses, of, um, uh, mild, as you say, the mild sadism and so on. You can be free of all of that. And, and you don't want that in, in your love no, life. No, not anymore. You don't want that it just, no, I, and you don't want any of this stuff it. coming up. Yeah, if, if and when you have kids, you don't want to be dealing with any of this stuff when, when you've got kids around and, and all well, that. And I've decided not to have kids specifically because I wasn't uh, – I had a vasectomy when I was 22. No, no kids for me. I wasn't – was oh, not stable okay. as far as I'm concerned. I'm not stable enough for kids. Right. You, I mean those are reversible and, and you, you never know, right? You never know. But, yeah. but so with, with the – with the, um, I mean, I think it was wise to, to not have kids to now, but you never know what, what can happen for you. I mean, obviously, you're, you're fiercely intelligent. Uh, obviously, you, you have kept something alive within you that in many people would not have stayed alive, and that's to, to your incredible credit. And you're, you know, willing to think and talk about uh, uh, getting an appointment with a, a skilled professional in these areas, which shows, I mean, that's, to me, that's real manliness. It's real manliness to say, I need some help with this. Uh, I want a life that is free of these dysfunctions. Uh, the, the abuse cycle stops with me, and I'm not going to be vain enough to pretend that I'm going to do it all by myself. And uh, yeah, that, that's I, I was vain enough to make that pretension, but I'm not now, not anymore, not the last few months, especially right. not now. Right. So, so I've, and the last thing I want to say is I really, um, I really appreciate the trust that you showed in this show. In, in talking about this stuff. I really, really appreciate that. Um, that is some heavy stuff to talk about. Um, I hope that I was helpful, but I really want to thank you for speaking so openly about this, uh, about this stuff and to being uh, so present in, in the conversation. That is uh, incredibly admirable. I mean, it's admirable in anyone, but particularly knowing what you've been through. Uh, I just really want to yeah. thank you for that. I don't take that lightly. Yeah, it's it's and it's and I wanted to thank you in person, you know, and rather not just in an email or text, but I did want to ask you at least in you know over over Skype for putting yourself out there because it was a lot of your material that helped me rekindle some of that little fire that never really died, but you know, kind of stoked it a little bit <laughs> yeah. to where these things have been accelerating in process, and now that's what that's what finally goaded me to call because I'm not a trusting person. And I don't really know you, but you've put enough of yourself out there that I felt comfortable at least calling up and just throwing it on the table. And how was your experience of the conversation? Thank you for that. But I, was it, was, it was fantastic. Uh, I'd, I'd give you a hug, buy you dinner, wash your car, <laughs> <laughs> clean your back. No, no. The only thing I want from you, the only thing I want from you, is the phone call to the therapist. That's all I care about. Take anything <laughs> yeah. you were thinking of giving to me and give it to the therapist. That's my. That's the best thing that can happen for me from here. Right. Yeah. It's. Uh, I'm, I'm. I've never even considered looking for a therapist. I wouldn't even know how to go about it. But I'll start with asking my my friend to see what he. Yeah. Call him now. Says. Yeah. This is not something to procrastinate because. Your defenses have scattered right now because we've had this connection, but they will reform. Right. Because it, everyone thinks you have a breakthrough and, ah, look, I don't, yeah, I've, I've talked about it, I felt it. And no, this is like you, you startle, you know, you drive past the, the crows and they'll fly away and then they come back, right? Especially right. when there's the yeah. roadkill of history, right? So, uh, so you know, uh, call your friend right now. Say, listen, I really would like to talk to a therapist who specialized. Tell him a little about what and, and get the name of someone good. Then immediately call that person 
to Sunday, but leave a message and make sure you get that process because otherwise your defenses will come back and they'll come back and they won't say, don't do it. Uh, they'll come back and say, you know, let's see, let's sit on this for a bit. We'll do some journaling. We'll pick up a self-help book. You know, we'll, we'll get to it and all that, but, but don't let that kind of deferring uh, happen, you know, really, really take control and, and, and go for it now. That's my, uh, more than my strong suggestion. And thank you. Uh, I think we better stop now. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I am hungry. And, um, uh, but, but, Thanks again. Thanks again to all the callers. I mean, uh, these conversations are just fantastic. And it does remind me of something that um, the psychologist who wrote The Sociopath Next Door was saying that uh, how, how tragic it is that so many people go through life so little listened to and how much really listening to someone and empathizing with someone can make a difference. And uh, thank you everybody so much for what you bring to this conversation, uh, to the openness, the honesty, the vulnerability, the human connection. You realize that this is modeling to hundreds of thousands of people. Uh, how, how, you know, what a conversation could be. Nobody, of course, has to copy anything, but what a conversation can be and how much can occur in a short period of time if you really listen and really care. So thank you, everybody, so much for these opportunities. I look forward to talking to you next week. Have yourself a super week. And thanks again to James for helping out. And talk to you soon.